<laughs> What's happening, weirdos? This is the incredible and overdue uh, chat with Lara Bites. Lara has been my friend and my opener uh, on the road uh, during the Silly Silly Fun Boy tour, which obviously uh, is on hiatus because of everything that's happening right now uh, with the quarantine. But we had some lovely times, which we talk about quite a bit here. And uh, she quickly became one of my favorite comedians of all time. She's incredible. She's hilarious. If you don't know her, uh, get get out, get on it. Get on the old gram and the tweetsies and whatever you need to get some bites into your life. She's incredible. And you're going to see that she's, from this chat, just a great friend and confidant and, and just like a wonderful person that we work through issues together. Sometimes me, her, and Val, we all discuss what's going on in our lives. So I hadn't talked to her in a while, so there's quite a bit of catching up, and uh, it's it's very much like a, I don't know, fly on the wall, <laughs> talk with friends, and an episode of the podcast. Obviously, we, we do all the hits as well. So I hope you love Lara as much as I do. Uh, this episode and every episode is brought to us by our friends at Charlotte's Web, uh, the maker of the wonderful Charlotte's Web hemp oil. Get yourself some calm gummies. That's what I'm I'm pushing now. I have them right here. You can't hear them because they're gummies on my desk. Incredible dosed CBD gummies that are delicious. Go to cwhemp.com slash weird and use promo code KEEPITCRISPY19 for 10% off. For those of you that haven't listened before, I don't do normal ads. These are all things that I use and love and swear by every single day. Uh, I call them my Pete's Picks. Uh, and on this episode, our friends at On It, one of the original Pete's Picks right here is my Alpha Brain. Alpha Brain is a nootropic. Nootropic is basically like a supplement for your thoughts, for your memory, for your focus, for your brain function, for your cognitive support. It is caffeine-free. It's not a stimulant. It's not an upper in that way. But for the past uh, four or five years now, I haven't done a podcast. I haven't done stand-up. I haven't read a book. I haven't written a script. Anything. Even going on a date with Val. If I want my brain functioning, which I always do at its optimum level, just able to concentrate, able to listen, able to hear, able to learn, able to create... I have always taken two or three Alpha Brain 15 minutes beforehand. I absolutely notice the difference. It is incredible, and I have come to swear by it. I always have some in my car, in my pocket, in my carry-on. For re- I've had fans come up and ask me for Alpha Brain, and I, I've shown it to them. I have it, and I've given it to them. I don't know if they took it. They probably shouldn't take unbottled pills from a stranger, but... You can buy some bottled pills from non-strangers from, from our friends at Onnit uh, by going to onnit.com slash weird, and you will get 10% off your order. I love it. I wish I knew about it in college because it makes a huge difference whenever I have to get some work done. So try it. If you need your brain working, get some alpha brain working for you. That's a slogan I just made up. <laughs> also, I've been living off of cachava, especially during the quarantine. I've been trying to go out to the store less, so I've been ordering in uh, literally bags and bags of cachava. Cachava is a plant-based superfood drink mix that keeps you full for hours, that is delicious, that gets you high on nutrients from foods that you may never have heard of, that you may never have needed, but I assure you, you need the things in them. It's 100% plant-based. When people are curious about how to eat more plant-based, I always tell them to start with something, to start with cachava specifically. 
something easy like that. Work it into your diet. Get those omega-3 fatty acids from chia seed and flax seed. Get eight super fruits in the bag, 17 greens and veggies. Really hard to get greens and veggies in your diet, but not if you're just taking them, boom, in a scoop, cachava, bang, 17. Gluten-free, soy-free, no artificial sweeteners or preservatives. It's got 24 grams of plant-based protein in a liquid, so it gets into your cells and gets you feeling full, gets you feeling that energy and that vitality quickly, absorbed readily, nine grams of fiber. It's got maca root for vitality and for energy. It's got cacao, raw cacao, which is a wonderful mood elevator, high source of uh, manganese and other wonderful, hard to find phytonutrients, uh, all the, and just nutrients. They don't have to be phyto. And it's basically a meal and a pill. I swear by it. I love it. People take it for weight loss. People, I take it to feel fantastic and as a quick and easy meal. So show your support of this podcast. Get yourself some cachava. Get yourself some health. Go to kachava.com slash weird for 20% off and show your support of this podcast. Speaking of superfoods, I've recently been turned on to Tahitian noni juice. Tahitian noni juice has been scientifically proven to boost immune activity and naturally enhance energy and support overall wellness. This has been known in Tahiti for thousands of years. It's been used as an ancient health remedy. I was skeptical at first, but I read and saw that they have peer-reviewed studies of clinical double-blind trials with placebo that show four ounces, that's not a lot, four ounces twice a day, basically a shot. Tastes a little bit like pomegranate juice. It's got some blueberry in there too, so it's a little bit sweet, which is nice. Four ounces twice a day increases your natural killer cells, your NK cells, by 30%. Your NK cells are uh, super, super important in keeping your immune system powerful and running optimally. 30% more ammunition, 30% more NK cells. So I love, I like the way it tastes, and I love knowing that I'm doing something to help my immune system hum and stay powerful. It's got, uh, like I said, noni juice, blueberry juice, 275 nutrients and phytonutrients, including key vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. I take it in conjunction with their supplement Cell Defense, which is clinically shown to help your body fight inflammation. Normally, a one-liter bottle of Tahitinone Jew and Cell Defense would be $100, but for listening to this podcast and using this promo code, you can get both for just 40 bucks and show your support of this show and know you're doing something healthy and wonderful for your body. Go to Noni New Age, N-O-N-I, newage.com slash weird40 and get a one liter bottle and the cell defense for 40 bucks and show your support of the show. All right, that's it. Let's. En- I'm excited for you guys to hear this one. I'm also sweating. It is the summer. It's the slow summer series. Not really. I wasn't hot when we recorded it. I'm just hot right now. All right, enjoy the wonderful, the, in- the incomparable, Lara Bites. Get into it. Start video. Then I just start trolling you. Look at your dumb headband. Look at your earrings. Those are dumb. <laughs> you would be the most benign troll. I would uh, see it. I can't. I don't. I don't know. I'm glad I don't get a rush. There's some people that even in traffic, like if you give someone the finger. Or, or or honk at them or yell like a snappy, like in New York City, like a cab almost hits you and you go like, hey, uh, fuck you. And, and like maybe you feel good the rest of the day. I replay it the rest of my life wishing I hadn't done it. 
There's a street, we've been on it together near my house, where every time I drive down it, I remember one Christmas Eve, someone was coming out and they were, I could see them. Val pointed out that something that I do that she doesn't do is I look in car windows. I'm always looking at the driver's eyes. Doesn't that, that sounds like something you and I would have in common. I do do that. Their eyes. Like I'm not looking at it as a car. I'm looking at it as a person. Right. Know where their eyes are. And he was not looking at me and I was going very slowly down the way and he was at a stop sign and then he's looking right and then he just starts making a left. Like he couldn't have been more in the wrong. He just came right in front of me. But because I was, you know, Jason Borning his eyes, like really hyper-focused on the situation, I hit the brakes with plenty of time, but I leaned on the horn like the biggest, like I didn't yell. I, I wasn't even like that, but I, I hung and it was Christmas Eve morning. And I was just like, every Christmas I remember that guy. And every time I walk down that street or drive down that street, I'm just like, shit, which isn't, sorry, Laura, I don't mean to talk so much, but it's not the most healthy relationship to anger and protecting myself, you know, to be like, oh, why why couldn't I have been nice? But like, I made a point to honk and be like, this is a fuck you honk. This is not a safety honk. I lost, I lost myself, but I'm so glad I don't get pleasure from that because then maybe I would want to troll or or whatever i don't know yeah well and in your defense which i will rush to immediately on this you were (laughs) not in control of that you were in fight or flight and your body took over and did something to save your life and it's like yeah you were angry but that's the same thing i mean our bodies don't know anger they just know elevation you know that's right that's right elevated and you saved him you know, <laughs> I was looking it out was for him accident on Christmas Eve. It, we both could have had a bad Christmas. I think, you know what it was, was it's different. If he had, I was thinking about this cause I'm reading the Mr. Rogers book. I think it's called good neighbor. It's something like the good neighbor maybe. And it talks about like, they used to tell people that were bullied, just act like it didn't bother you. And that was the way to diffuse it, which I've heard as well. And it kind of applies to this story is I honked and it was the, the meekness in the other guy that broke my heart. It wasn't, it wasn't that he was pathetic or anything. He wasn't like crying or startled or, or hurt by me. He just looked like a very, you know, Christmas Eve, he's going to fucking meet his family or whatever. And he just looked so sorry. Like he was so... Yeah, I know. Lara is making a like sad face or an understanding face. And if he had been like, hey, fuck you, like I would have felt justified in my anger. I I would have been like, oh, I got what the, the hurt, scared part of me honked. And it's looking for, again, I must be excited to see you. I'm sorry to talk so much. It's like when we scroll through Twitter and all these things looking for a bad thing looking for the hit. It's like gambling. You either win or you lose, but either way you get like, you feel a sensation. So you're looking, the part of me that's hurt and scared sometimes grabs the wheel and looks for a mirror in reality. And it might be honking or it might be trolling. So I can understand why if you're being bullied, ignoring it would be like, well, they're not getting, 
they're not getting the hit. They're not getting the negative or the positive out of doing it. Although I'm not, I'm not sure that's the right approach. Oh, I see what you mean with the troll. Yeah, we always just would kick them out. That, that's the way to do it, for sure. Yeah. I can't yeah. believe they managed to get out a racial slur. In the time you realize it's a troll, you got you to gotta boot them. Because that's what, you know, a mute yeah. or a boot. I, I don't think they, a block. <laughs> a mute or a boot. A block, they like it. I see too many screen grabs of blocks and people being really? Oh yeah, it's usually. Oh, I'll block because it's not about them. Who cares if they like it? Okay, then like it, and <laughs> I'll never see you again. You can like it in a place I'll never see. Like <laughs> I'm sure they do, and I've thought about that. And they used to keep me from blocking people. But then I was like, why do I? Why do I care? Take a screen grab. Let it be the highlight of your life. <laughs> And like piss off. <laughs> right here. I, you're catching me. <laughs> I don't know why I live so much of my life based on unseen and uncontrollable things. Meaning, you're helping me realize I won't block this guy. I'll mute him because he'll see it and he'll think that I'm like. What will he think? I don't even know. Infected, yeah. It's spending, I spend so much time, and that is one of the reasons I miss you, and I'm so glad to see you, is Lara and I were touring before all of the COVID stuff, I'm saying to the audience, obviously you know that, and we would just gab and like therapize each other and just be such a safe place to be like, and then this happened, and would always side with each other. It's almost like girlfriends. I know that's, I, I wish there were more male examples of this because I love that that space but it feels sort of feminine to be like i understand and i side with you and and we go in at it together and we figure it out and then we feel better and i miss that yeah i even like going back to the thing about blocking people i've i've yes i miss it too i miss you very much too i'm sorry that i stuck no. on that. <laughs> that's something i'm working on is i have a tendency I have a boyfriend now. I'm in love now. I was going to ask if it's the guy that that we talked about at Disneyland. No, that guy had a girlfriend. And I asked him outright one day. We had been like FaceTiming. We had been talking a couple times a week for up to like two hours at a time. And he was like flirting with me. Like he was saying stuff to me where I was like, oh, well, he would never say that if he had a girlfriend. And then I asked him point blank one day and he said yes. What? And then after that, he hit me on a dating app. What? Didn't you meet on a dating app? I saw him on a dating app a while ago. No, I met him um, doing stand-up. Oh, not that guy. There was another guy. We've gone through a lot of relationships. You mean the stand-up guy? Yeah. The stand-up guy had a girlfriend? Yeah. Wait, I thought... Well, I don't want to, we can edit out anything that's too many details, but I thought he was choosing between two people. He won't and- listen anyway. He never did. <laughs> <laughs> but we would gab like gals about this. There were two relationships that I remember. One was a guy that you really liked, and he sort of had like a girl that was moving to LA, and yeah. then they were going to be together, and he wasn't sure. 
because he seemed like he was into you and you were definitely into him. And, and you did one of the greatest, uh, Val, and I still call it bitesing it. Bitesing it means putting it out there, speaking your truth. This is my truth. These are my feelings. These are my boundaries. This is my reality. This is how I want to be in the world. This is how I want to be treated in the world. Whenever we stand up for ourselves, we call it bitesing it. It's like, can I just bites this for a second? <laughs> so I you bites it with that guy. And when the reason I bring up bitesing it as a verb is there's this guy, he has this girl moving to LA. He doesn't know if he's going to date her or date you. You get the feeling that you'd be better for him. And you did the hardcore bites and you did the Hail Mary where you were like, I'm better for you. I think you like me. Like you did what, what you usually only see on TV where characters are like, I'm putting it in the, in writing, like here it is. And, and I thought it was going to work and it didn't work. No. <laughs> it didn't work, but he didn't say it didn't work. If it didn't work, tell me it didn't work. Yeah. Don't keep talking to me for four months. And then when I ask you if you have a girlfriend, you say, yeah, as if you didn't know I'd be interested to know that. You I fucking need to shit. I'm sorry. I don't know what you need to edit out on this, but I'm just like, <laughs> so then after that, then he was like, <laughs> then he was like, well, I don't know if you got cursing on your show. Probably not. Oh, we have cursing. Okay. Hell yeah. <laughs> I, um, I listened to, I listened to it and I didn't remember a lot of F-bombs getting thrown out there. So I just wanted to. Oh no, we, we swear and get real dirty. It's all good. Okay, cool. So, yeah. So then he was like, oh, hey, can we like switch our, our FaceTime today from three to four? And I was like, I didn't think we were going to talk today. And he was <laughs> like, oh, okay, no worries. Well, let's just do Sunday then. And I was like, you have a girlfriend. I don't want to talk to you anymore. This and is... And he was like, well, I hope we can still be friends and like talk shop and stuff. And I didn't say anything. I haven't spoken to him since. No, we can't be friends. (laughs) See, this is something that would come up time and time and time again. With relationships, with professional things, with everything in your life. You, I, I wouldn't say you struggle with it. But you keep not having people in your life that are as 100 as you are. And that's my pleasure in you. I have a hard time with human vagaries. It's one of the reasons I like work relationships. I'm like, this is when I see you. This is when we stop seeing each other. Like, I like the clarity of those cookie cutter things. I don't even mean us. I mean, like, when we're in a writer's room, I'm like, oh, this is my showrunner. We hang out during these hours there's a part of me that is calmed by those rules. And like, that's what I'm drawn to in you as I'm like, you know, what's happening with Lara. You're never mean about it, but like you, I never have to go like, you're the opposite of the person that would FaceTime with somebody. If you had a boyfriend for four months and just string them along. And that is, that's just what I think we all want in our life. I'm sorry I'm gushing here, but it's just like, that's what therapy is. That's what recovery is. It's just like, hey, dipshit, your feelings are okay. Your boundaries are valid. You're a thoughtful person. You're worthy of love. Go out and get it and defend yourself and be proud. And that's bitesing it. And we're bitesing it. And you're the opposite of that. But what I was going to say is a struggle is you never seem, a lot, some of the people in your professional world don't seem to bites it very well. And then romantically, you're, you never were getting the reciprocal bites yeah. that you deserved. 
Dude, I got it though. I almost have been, I've been wanting to text you to be like, dude, I found my Val. I found uh, a guy with me. You found what? I found my Val. What I was found the second my day? Emily. I oh. found a guy who will bite it with me. Oh, like, that's wonderful. Like, clear and has clear boundaries and will like request support or like thank me for requesting support. Like, he's mm. just awesome. Where he did he learn it? What's that? Where'd he learn it? This is what I'm fascinated with. It's like, where do people get stuff like this? Like therapy and stuff. Yeah. He's just like done the work, you know? And he's been through like a lot in the same way. Like he's, he's a pilot with a fear of heights and I'm a comedian with stage fright. Whoa. So many similarities. (laughs) It's like a play. Yeah, dude. It's awesome. He's the only full-arm amputee instrument-rated flight instructor in the country and possibly the world. Full-arm amputee what? Flight instructor? Instrument-rated flight instructor. Oh, my goodness. The only one in the country and possibly the world. So he's, like, brilliant and living his dream. And I had, like, just changed my hinge profile, cutting out all, like, the half-assed stuff and just said, like, I'm looking for someone who is living their wildest dream. Nice. My goal for the year is to get a special, like, just put it out there. You know what I mean? Instead of worrying it. about it, I biked it. Yes. And and I got a bite, baby. I got a bite. Bitsy got it. a nibble. <laughs> Bitsy got a nibble. Yeah, dude. The parallels. So he has a prosthetic? Um, he has a prosthetic, but he doesn't usually wear it. So he just has one arm. But I showed him, I actually showed him the passage from your book where you talked about when you met Val and you said she was the warmest, safest hiding place you had ever found in your life. Yeah. And that was what I thought. I was like, this person is the warmest, safest place that I've Mm. ever been. And Mm. I showed him that. And so I've been looking forward to telling you that. Oh, that's really special. Yeah, Val's like a... Like an igloo? Igloo isn't quite right, but you're in a storm and it's dark and you hear like bears and there's like a a dangerous Aurora Borealis, like an Eye of Sauron sort of style Aurora (laughs) Borealis. And it's so snowy and you can't see anything. And then you see an igloo and there's like a light inside the igloo. Once you go inside, it's not, she's not made of ice. It's very warm. There's bearskin rugs. Of bears that died of natural causes uh, that she fed and named and loved, and there's food and 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 a, a big soft warm bed that looks like it'd be bad for your back, but you just can't wait to get into it, and it's not, and you feel fantastic and actually heals your back. So you found that like safe. Uh, what what would that be like a a port? It's like a port in a storm. Yeah, that's wonderful. I see so many parallels between. All can I think all comedians, you know, it, whether or not it's stage fright, uh, the way that I can relate to that is I was talking to Berbigli about this. It's like the energy that traumatized me. I think you're going to love this, by the way, which is often drunk, rowdy energy is what I face. That's the dragon that you and I slay back when we were doing stand up. Not every show, a lot of shows are very nice, but like the rough ones. Those are us facing our fear. That's my fear of flights. That's my compromised family dinner. And I go up in front of a recreation of that as adult Pete 
as a means to soothe and salve young Pete. We talk, Laura and I talk a lot about our child selves. I'm just like, I go up and I show him, little Pete, that it's safe. Here are drunk strangers, an amorphous mass of orcs. And I go up and hopefully, if I can, and often we do, we bring control and unity to that, which is what we were trying to do as children. We were trying to make some sense of it. I always think of Seinfeld in the green room saying, I can't wait to talk to the crowd. I have no idea what to say to these people. <laughs> so like, so I'm just, all of that was to say a pilot with a fear of flying. And I would say being an amputee, is that the correct term? Yeah. Right. Being an amputee often, and I'm not trying to belittle the, the whatever trauma he experienced from that, but we can often feel like emotional amputees or whatever it is. Like the, and I don't want to call it damage because that's painting with too broad of a brush, but there's stuff, there's survival stuff that's in the DNA of artists. So yeah. when you tell me those two things, I'm like, oh my God, the simpatico there is, is off the charts. Maybe you could speak to that. Does that sound right? Yeah, well, and what come, what came up for me when you're talking about, like, the dragon that we're slaying is, like, for me, it's like slapping the witch. Like, <laughs> slapping the witch! Yeah, I slapped a witch in a dream I had when I was a kid, and I realized I could slap her and then wake up, so she could And the feeling that I get when I go on stage and make those people laugh, whom I'm fear i mean you've seen me you know i can i'm this i'm the same as what you just described seinfeld as being i can handle a crowd better than i can handle two people you know right and um and yeah so so that's how i feel i feel like that's the name of your special slapping the witch slapping the witch like i go in and i'm scared but i'm like i know if i just do it i can do it no one's gonna hurt you know, that was something that you and I bonded over right away. I think I said to you, I couldn't tour with somebody that just seemed completely calm <laughs> before they went on. That's like I've been doing stand up for like 20 years and I can contain it. But I mean, isn't that also a big point in therapy? Just because you're not showing it, you know, the duck thing, ducks look calm, but their feet underwater. My adrenaline is jacked. I'm going into a situation that I don't know how it's going to go. And, and even though I'm not in physical danger, the bombs of my life stay with me. They're still in there. Yeah. I, I think I've told you, I, sometimes when I'm falling asleep, I see a location of a show, I, like just some random, just like for a second, I'll just see like some random college I did in Maine, bink, that was rough. And I'm just like, so they stay <laughs> in my body. So there's like real, there's a risk. I obviously, I don't want to tell this to young comedians or I can say it gets better and it's okay. But like when I started watching you and and Val used to enjoy watching you as well before the show, here's my impression of you before the show. (laughs) That's it. But I was like, this is where it's at. That is real artistry. And then you'd go out on stage. And like, I'm not just saying this, like the fearlessness, like you would talk to the crowd in ways 
that was just so fearless. You're flirting with people. You're, you're telling someone their shirt is stupid or whatever it is that they, that they're telling you that they want. If you want it, if they want it rough, you go rough. If they want it wild, you go wild. All these different calls that you're making, which we called headliner energy. I remember I was like, Oh, you got headliner energy. You got that. Like, what do I got to do? What do I got to do to flow? And obviously you are a headliner. I'm just saying not everybody has that, but backstage you and I both are like, I mean, yeah. Remember yeah, when I, I hated even thinking about it. Yeah. I've always said I've I've always said before shows I'm just like I I hate this part and yeah. I know that's not a positive attitude but it also is because that part passes. Yeah, that's right. I'm not like I hate this. This part is it's a bad trip. It's a drug I don't like because there's those right. three highs we've talked about: the high before you're on stage, the high while you're on stage, and the high after you're on stage. And that first one, man, that's a bad, that's a bad trip for me every time. Yeah, it, that's right. Degrees, I get sick to my stomach. I feel like I'm going to throw up. Right. I, I, mean, I only know I'm not going to throw up because I've done it so many times and not thrown up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done mushrooms in a long time, but I, I remember fondly how they make you feel sick first. The first thing <laughs> is like a feeling of dread and intense nausea that like real experienced trippers would tell me and guide me and just be like, you just got to get through it. And it's the same thing. So remember where were we, where I hit my head, I hit my head on the wall. We were in Nashville. Oh my God. Have you been like (laughs) Nashville? I'm sorry. It was just so funny the way. No, of course. I want to laugh about it. I don't, I don't need everybody. I can't wait to tell you. Ah. Oh, we were. (laughs) 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 We were having such a good time. Oh my God. (laughs) funny as you're doing it it's like it might be helpful for people to picture the elaine i wasn't doing the elaine no there were head moves yeah and his hair will flap in one piece when he gets excited as many of you i'm sure know and it was flapping up and down like a toupee it's not of course great head of hair can't say enough good things about it but it was flapping up and down and and he was dancing with sarcastic enthusiasm, and then he hit his head. He's fine. He hit his head on the corner of the wall, yes. and we and we heard it. It was actually on like a picture frame, yes. and um, and we heard it. And he was like, "Ah!" Uh, and, and then he was, <laughs> he was like, "Watch, I turn and I'm bleeding." And he was kicking his blood trickling down his face. <laughs> his eye and I was on the side everyone else was on the other side of the room so he turned to me and with his goofy grin he's like watch I'm bleeding and I look and there's blood all over his face oh my god he's like oh my god oh my god and I had to react (laughs) for a a good moment before anyone took it seriously because it was just too comedically perfect for you to be bleeding at that time and from a dance should have gotten stitches my cousin was a nurse she was there she looked at it she was like, yeah, I would put some sutures in that, but it was too late and he was fine. He did his set. He got cleaned up. We made sure not to get any on the shirt. I take some credit for that. 
would like save the shirt because he was filming that to pitch his special yes. and that was the show shirt so that the edits would be continuous. I like, had to wear the same shirt and if there was one show with like just blood down the front. <laughs> and Lara, your one detail was you were about to go on. So I start bleeding like a bad like a B horror movie. Val is there, so she's tending. They run to get like a first aid kit or something, and then you had to go out. So I'm like, we all like we're helping, and I'm pushing and I'm putting pressure on it, and like nothing is working. It's a head wound. It's a head wound, and I'm like going through the options. I'm like, do I talk about it? Like, do I go on stage and just go, just so you know, my head is bleeding, or just like be honest, like. I just hit my head. And then you get, so we had your 30 minutes or whatever it was, that exact amount of time to get it under control. And I'm pushing on it so hard in the bathroom. And we're like, do we wrap it in something? It's still, I wouldn't say it was gushing, but it was relentless. (laughs) It wasn't like a, like you couldn't see my pulse with the pushes of the blood, but it was, it kept coming. And then I finally got it to basically cake over. That's so gross. But, and then you killed. I went out, and this is what I remember, Laura. It's not really the wound or the panic. It's I remember that the crowd didn't care. Do you remember? I told them. I was like, I hit my head. And I'm so used to performing at like sort of these cushy places. And National Zanies is fantastic, by the way. But like, if you were bleeding at Largo, the cradle of support for something happened. The cradle of support (laughs) that the audience would create for riffing about your head. I was ready to riff about my head. I was ready to be like, isn't it crazy? We're all just bags of blood. We're one wound away from just gushing. It's so embarrassing. It's sort of like barfing, but on the side and it's red. And I just mentioned it, and the frequency was, we don't care, do your act. Like, I remember that vividly. And I was just like, okay. Uh, <laughs> we just moved on. I moved on. Like, well, we bought tickets. We bought tickets. We better get the same show. Otherwise, yes. I want to pay the head wound price. <laughs> I want my $5 off for the cut. If that's... I- how this is going to be. That is what it felt like. Again, one of the best clubs in the country and we had a great time, but that particular audience did not give a fuck that I was like, (laughs) do you guys want to riff about my head wound? Or they didn't even like, again, I don't know what it was. It could have been how I said it. I really mean that because I was a little dazed to be honest, but they didn't even go like, oh, there was nothing. I was just like, guys, I just hit my head dancing and everyone was just kind of like, can we get the buffalo wings? It was that. It was it was a witch to slap. There was a witch to slap. And I was like, <laughs> all right. And like, my closer has so many words. I hate to say that, but there's so many parts. It's like a 16-part closer. And I have a throbbing head wound. And I'm trying to remember the very, I'm going to say, this is something, I'm going to bite it and say, it is sophisticated. There's a lot of parts moving that if you don't say this part this part won't make sense and you have to remember them all it's not written down anywhere i don't like practice the lines but in the moment you're making oh don't forget that part there's this commentary running and i'm doing that while i'm also going like is it dripping (laughs) is is my ear wet 
I really love the idea. And I, I, the more we talk about it, the more I think you should have done this. I really like the idea of your head being wrapped in a bandage. So sure. Nothing else different. (laughs) When you pitch the special just going in and out of shots of you with a bandage. Oh my God. You have it and then you don't, and then you have it again, and then you don't again. I just think it would have been fun. And that's little cuts to where you have it. That would be fun and hilarious and like a new way. Comedians, it seems like, are always trying to do new ways of showing the transparency of like, there's cuts and it's different shows. Well, yeah, halfway through the joke, it cuts to the audience and it cuts back and I have a bandage. <laughs> just for one line. And then it cuts to the audience and it cuts back and I don't have the bandage. What if it's just three times? What if it's uh, not even a lot? Well, wasn't that, this is... I love talking about stand-up theory with you, so I hope this is interesting to everybody else. But it's like, that. this is why I'm always saying expectation is always the enemy of comedy. So I'm trying to film the show. So I have an expectation that this is going to be the sets that I'll show, you know, I'll pitch around to Netflix or whoever. And so I had an agenda, which is a resistance to the moment. It it's kind of speaks to mindfulness. I, but... I went in and I swear I was like, do you guys want to be mindful about what just happened? And they were like, get to the bits. (laughs) (laughs) I'm mindful about this ticket being $20. That's what I'm mindful of. Yeah, dude, I never forget how expensive it is to go out and see stand-up. That's why when I got that feedback, probably subconsciously, when when they're like, we're not interested in your tonight riffs, please, (laughs) please get to the bit. Uh, the good bits, the practice bits, the the good shit, and I'm like, this night's probably going to cost you a hundred dollars. Like, like I, I've said it a million times, but one of the few times I went as a audience member buying tickets, and I, I was working at Bennigan's at the time, I was aghast that it was like a hundred and twenty five dollars. This is in like two thousand two, so I'm like, never forget that they get they have veto power to be like, we don't need to hear about your head wound, especially. Yeah. Dizzy. That was also the weekend. I have all the, we have all these fun road memories where we smoked weed, or I smoked weed. You, oh you did not God. smoke weed. It was so fun. <laughs> it was one of the best weed smokes of all time <laughs> because the shows were done, so we were happy. And do you remember the the other comedians that were there? Man. No, I don't. Unfor- Unfortunately, I don't remember their names either, which sucks. I can but, picture him, but I know he had a super normal name, and it's just, I, it would just be a guess. To it be would, it's it's like Charles. Right. He was hilarious. It's a shame, yeah, yeah. but I don't yeah. remember. But, but the manager was like, when he gets high, he's really funny. And he was really funny. Oh, my God, I just remembered what it was. <laughs> I just remembered what it was. Oh, my God, I just remembered what it was. The video on his phone? <laughs> Lara, I want to know what you remembered, but I, I remember. remember. Well, go ahead. No, I remember the video on his phone now, and you interrupted him. He was showing Pete a video of his kid. Of his daughter. And it was like, the video was like nine minutes old. It was so long and we were, and we were stoned. So it's one of those things where like time is already kind of warped and going. 
slowly. <laughs> and he was following another video. We watched some short video and it made us all laugh. And then he was like, I got a video. And it was his daughter. And it was his daughter like kind of being sassy to him or something. It wasn't like she juggled or, or rode a bike or anything. There was no like point to the video. It was just kind of like a moment. It was a slice of life. Well, and then- <laughs> started showing it to us and and like six minutes in none of us are laughing no one's laughing and he's like uh he paused it or something and then he was like oh wait there's there's uh he he resumed it and i went this is the first thing anyone said i went oh good there's more He went, everyone just died. Because me, Val, the the manager, her boyfriend, and him, and you, we were all having the same experience where a father was showing a video of his daughter, and it was so long, and it was so uneventful, and then he was like, there's nine more minutes, and I'm like, oh, good, there's more, and like, that, that it was like church laughter, where we were like, Oh, thank God someone said something was how I felt. Because we do not want to watch this video right now. <laughs> like, what is this? Fiddler on the roof? We got to change the tape now on this? <laughs> it was like Magnolia. It was a two VHS clip on his phone. Well, and we had just seen. So the thing that led into this, you guys have to understand, the feature act for this 40 <laughs> video was a 30-second video. Of Pete's right. adorable eighteen-month-old at that time daughter, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. doing something. She got a hold of the camera. And she's like, "Oh, oh, oh, oh do my yeah. baby thing." Yeah. On her phone, which how is she using this? Adorable, <laughs> hilarious, and short, very, and very short, very short. <laughs> we get this. I love what you said. A slice of life. It was a slice nine, of life. Nine minutes of. <laughs> A six-year-old or an eight-year-old. And it's like, yeah, okay. It's but, cute. Could we do highlights and not history on this one? Is there maybe an expert of this that's your favorite? Could we cut to 1352 when it gets good and then stop at 14 minutes because we're done? Is that a choice? I choose that. That specific feeling, especially if you're stoned, where you're like feeling trapped. Like I've had it. One time I went to the comedy store, I forgot that I had a spot. Speaking of sobriety, I realized that like weed isn't great for me either. I just want to mention that. We can talk about that later. But anyway, I smoked some weed and then remembered I had a set. It was a terrible, terrible feeling. Oh my God. So I went to the comedy store and this guy in the green room started talking to me. I didn't know who he was. He came up to me and started talking to me in a familiar way. I, I'm, I'm cycling through my names and faces, just going, who the fuck are you? Who the fuck are you? 10 minutes later, which felt like an eternity. And I'm panicking because I have to go on stage and I'm stoned and I don't even know my jokes. He drops... I can't believe you even remember me. We met 10 years ago at some festival and you were, this is the cliche, but it always happens. And you were drunk. And I was like, motherfucker. Like I wanted. Say that asshole. Say it up top. Say it up top. Like I can't. 
that was what that felt like. I could have used someone to go like, he's stoned. He has no idea what's happening right now. And that, and I was sort of my own, I bites it. I probably did it because you were there. And I was like, how do we bites this? I'm just going to say, oh, good, there's more. And I think that'll get us out of this. Oh, my God, dude, you were killing. I was dying. I had never seen you stoned before. I haven't seen you stoned since. <laughs> and I hate to enable, but you, like, so seldom smoke. It was so funny. Do you remember the first thing that came into my head, and I didn't even know if this was okay, especially <laughs> I didn't know if this would be okay, but do you remember when you were – and Val was like hey Pete can we see if we got a different voice up there (laughs) oh my god when I get stoned they just happen they just happen one is stoner guy I just start talking like oh man over there like it I it just feels right it's like a possession I'm possessed by a Laguna Beach stone server guy and val my love and protector is like is that uh, a great voice do you have any other voices in there i don't remember what i said i do remember checking and i think i came back and i said i checked and i was like no bitch or something like that (laughs) no bitch (laughs) you're such an entertainer and when you get high you lose the part that knows that you don't have to, you know? <laughs> and there is this, like, child of an alcoholic. There's, like, little Pete who lives in you, and he's high, too, and he doesn't yes. know. You know yes. what I mean? And he, Val yes. explained it to me as you were doing a one-man show. I mean, you just were performing, and it was and it was killing. It was hilarious. Every <laughs> I laughed so hard, my stomach was hurt everyone was dying laughing so everyone was looking at you so you kept doing it and Val was like he can't stop yes like he can't stop and he wants to but he can't because and she said that sometimes you would look over at her at times like these and be like they're looking at me I have to keep going yes stop but they're looking at me and so I it's the purest it's, it is a little dysfunctional because it's like, I got to do my tap dance show, but it feels really good. It feels like the the fire hose as opposed, like, I feel like you and I, we build squirt guns, really sophisticated squirt guns to shoot out like calculated, appropriate, funny, thoughtful stuff. And then sometimes it's just like, I'm, I'm eight years old. Everyone's laughing. And it and it's I sort of want to get into that place more because it's a very silly place where you just go look at what's happening. Everyone is laughing. I'm laughing. We gotta keep doing this. We gotta keep going. And and man, it like I feel like it cures and heals disease that was like in our we were holding on to bad things in our bodies that were like released in that moment. For me too, I was weeping. It was it was incredible. We improvised a song together, and that's not in my background, but everyone participated, and it was good. Am I wrong? Do you remember? Amazing. Do you remember the songs? I know that there was part of it that was like roll call. (laughs) (laughs) Roll call. (laughs) And I know that I did something about like the tables 
be like putting up the tables and like the people being gone, but it rhymed. And I yes. myself with the fact that it was perfect. Well, that was the night that Val, I think paid you a very high compliment the next day because we were, everyone was stoned except you and you were a hundred percent as silly and as free flowing and creative and free as everybody. And we were just like, man, we got there. Like, er, like no comedian left behind. Because it could have been the night where we were stoned and we lost you. It would yeah. have been completely reasonable to be like, we couldn't bring her along. But not only did we bring you along, you brought us along. You, I remember riffing the songs. I also remember the opener. I, I feel bad that I forget his name. But he, he was like sort of paranoid and he kept being like, he'd point at me and go like, he gets it to me. He gets it. He knows what I'm saying. He could have been making any point, like oranges are female fruits or something. He's like, <laughs> it's the woman fruit. And everyone would be like, no, it's not. It's ridiculous. And like 30 minutes later, he'd point at me. We'd, be, we'd have been talking about nine other topics and we'd be like, Pete knows, Pete knows. And we're like, Pete knows what? Oranges are women. And we're like, what? I would stand up and like, here's what's disappointing about weed uh, is I always want it to be that. And it never is. It just, it, it so seldom is because that night was, we had done five shows. So the relief of being done, the relief that it had been gone well, we worked hard. We were with um, a nice mix of familiar people and strangers we were in a safe place where we felt like we could be loud. And then we just sort of greased, you know what I mean? Yes, yeah. but my, I, and this is interesting because I always love talking to you about addiction stuff because you've been very helpful to me in that. My thing is if I always pin it all on the weed, I'm like, so weed is the magic. And this is what advertising does. It's like, it wasn't that you were at the beach or water skiing or with the love of your life in a bikini. It was the Miller High Life. And like, it works. It works. So like, my problem with weed is I'll have an epic night like that. And then the next night I'm just at home alone. And I'm like, I'm going to watch the first Batman and get stoned. And then it sucks. I had to write myself a letter, Lara, where I wrote, I think you think this is funny. I go, it was something like, Pete, you know, you, you stay home, you get stoned, you always order a pizza, you eat the entire pizza, or worse, like even more indulgent. And I just wrote, these aren't classic nights. <laughs> like, you're not going to like, when I'm an old man, I'm not going to be like, that Thursday where I ate, the, and I had already done it that week, it becomes, that's the sickness, is you go... Isn't there something about like repeating something that isn't working over and over and over? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, there's that, there's that saying of like the definition of insanity, but I don't think that's what you're talking about, but there is stuff in like the literature that I've read about just having an incredibly poor short-term memory mm. and then getting back in the situation and you're like, Oh, that's right. This doesn't make me feel good. This bums yeah. me out. I feel depressed now because I just ate a pizza. And right. Well, you over and over. You'd always say, play the tape out. And that's something I still yeah. say to myself. Why don't you tell the people what you mean by that? 
Um, so like when I was quitting drinking and actually now I am in a program for food as well that I started. And so I've been using that strategy of playing the tape out. So usually when we think about, um, and for alcoholics, it's like when you think about drinking, if you think about like ordering a pizza, if you're a compulsive eater or whatever, um, you just think about like the first drink, you know, you think about how good it would feel to like take the first drink um, or how good it would feel to like order the pizza and take the first bite. Yeah. But um, in like addiction treatment, one tool that I've learned is to play the tape out. So don't stop there because you're like addict mind will stop there. It'll stop at the first bite. And it's like, okay, but what happens after that? Oh, I eat a whole pizza. Maybe I throw up. I feel like shit. I feel super depressed because I promised myself I wouldn't do this again. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, um, or, oh, okay. What happens after I take the first drink? Don't stop the tape there. Play it through to where you hit on your boss and wet your pants. Like you want to see that part too. You know, that's right. For me, it was when I put the booker of best week ever in a headlock and licked his bald head. Like that. <laughs> oh my god! I didn't hear the end of the sentence because I laughed too soon. I, I it was he's still. Uh, we're still, you know, online friends. I haven't seen him in over ten years. But Norman Baker, who I love, who booked me on Best Week Ever, the first time we had it, and this was when I was <laughs> new enough to drinking that I didn't even know how to be a good drunk. Yeah. So I would take a shot. And I knew you were supposed to chase it with something. So I'd do a shot and then I'd chase it. This makes no sense, Laura, with a sip of tequila. Oh my goodness. I'd do a shot of tequila and then I was like, and now it's time to wash the taste of tequila away with tequila. Or maybe it was whiskey and tequila. I had no, I don't mean it as a good thing, but I had no game when it came to like getting fucked up. And that night I blacked out. I thought, I used to think that blacking out meant you fell asleep. That's like, but oh, I blacked yeah, we all, don't we all? And that <laughs> night, Norman, if you hear this, I call him Oprah lover. And he calls me Oprah lover lover because I love him. <laughs> and he loves Oprah. Um, and I put him in a, not a, not a headlock, but like a tight hug. And I, I licked his bald head, which was, if you had told Sober Pete going into that party, that's my first TV show, you're going to lick Norman's head tonight. I would have run away from the party this, this this was my first break it was my first job in show business it was a really big deal and i met doug benson at that party and i picked him up because i get uh like strength challenge drunk where i'm like <laughs> i can pick doug benson up he doesn't want to get picked up no no one asked that of you no one would ever ask that of you and then i saw i i thought i met him a week later um because i didn't remember meeting him and he was cold to me. We've laughed about this since. Um, and I didn't know why. And he was like, you don't remember picking me up. And I, I thought he was joking. I didn't know what blacking out was. But it's, it's when you are awake. And you, uh, for, those, for those sweetie peeties out there that don't know, <laughs> yeah. it means you are there and you are doing stuff. And no one is behind the wheel. Yes. And you yes. pick up Doug Benson. Um, but your your play the tape out thing. You know what I wrote? So I, I I during the quarantine, I went through like a weird, I don't know if it's weird, but like the addict in me will always look for an excuse. 
And it's sort of like when you don't want to break up with somebody and you're like, well, it's their birthday in two weeks. And then it's Christmas. And then it's New Year's. I want someone to kiss on New Year's. And then, you know, it's Valentine's Day. And then, you know, it's March. It's my birthday. I don't want to. And then you end up staying with them for five years. And it's the summer. You want someone to go do all that stuff with. My brain will do that. So the quarantine, and my heart goes out to people staying sober during the quarantine because I know how hard it is. Uh, especially if you're by yourself. So please stay strong and know you're not alone. Mm-hmm. I went into, I realized my little, it's the Hamburglar. If I, if I was going to give my addict an avatar, it would be the Hamburglar. He just wants a hamburger. And he doesn't, he'll steal it from fucking the bird one. Birdie McBird. <laughs> he'll steal one from the lesser known McDonald Land characters. The bird one. The bird one. Birdie, <laughs> golden birdie. <laughs> I, don't I can't even, oh, I can picture it. Isn't yeah. that like, isn't that a prisoner? Isn't the bird a prisoner of some kind? Well, the Hamburglar's wearing stripes, because I think the story of the Hamburglar, I think, is that he broke out of him prison. <laughs> I think I might be thinking of Robin Hood. I love it. Whatever you're thinking of makes me so happy. <laughs> but there's a bird. The bird is somehow involved in the gang. There's a bird. She reminds me of Roller Girl for some reason. She might be wearing roller skates. But anyway... That voice, that character in my brain, and I find it helpful to depersonalize it, being like, it's this other thing. Um, Even though that may sound unhealthy, I just mean it's an overactive part of my lower brain that thinks you need to eat a pizza or you'll die. And that's, I can say, I love you. I see you. Thank you for keeping me alive. But as Jack Kornfield taught me to say, I'm okay just now. I'm okay just now. Isn't that good? I'm okay just now. Yeah. Instead of going, get the fuck out of here, you idiot. You're killing us. You just go like, I love you. I see you. I'm okay just now. But so it's the quarantine. And I keep hearing these stories of people, friends of ours, Val and I's, that never really smoke weed. And it's like, they're smoking every day. And my Hamburglar goes, oh, it's an excuse. And then I was like, I just ordered a bunch of weed. And I went into a place. It was always at night. Um, what, like, that makes it okay. I'm just saying, like, it wasn't like I was wake and baking or whatever it was. It is different, honestly, yeah. It it is a little different, but I was like this. All the time with your child, yeah. That's right. It was, Lee would be down and I'd, and I'd uh, get stoned. And there were some nights where it was great. Um, And then I would just keep doing it because now it's just what I do. So it was funny, the thing that I wrote, so I have it in this glass or this plastic clear container, all my weed. And what helps me stay away, and this is going to sound weird maybe, is I wrote on it in chalk pen, be as fabulous as you are, which is something my friend Chris told me. He was like, for my Enneagram type, which is the achiever, um, one of your fears is that you're too much to take. It's the fire hose, Pete. And And he's too intense. And he's too big. He's too loud. And this is where it sounds a little self-aggrandizing. It is self-aggrandizing. He's too fabulous. And then I was just like, so you're smoking to like slow down and shut the fuck up and be stupid or whatever it is. And I don't mean bad stupid. I just mean like curb the the brain. And I just wrote, be as fabulous as you are. And I I haven't wanted to because I realized that there's a hurt part of me that wants to mirror itself in reality. And I was like, we don't need to do that. It's okay to be light. It's okay to be big and loud and everything. That seems like it made you think a lot. What, what were you thinking? 
Well, it's so crazy because once you said that that was that your Enneagram was the achiever, I was like, well, I wonder if I am too, because I'm probably whatever Pete is, honestly. <laughs> I think you are. We, we've then, we've and, talked a little bit about that. And then when, yeah, yeah, we have. And then when you said fire hose, it blew me away because no one ever says that. It's an unusual thing to say. And my boyfriend said that when he started dating me, he was like, I had been so thirsty for such a long time. I didn't realize <laughs> how thirsty I was. And then you're like a fire hose. Whoa, that's crazy. Yeah. That's a good it's crazy that you just described yourself as a fire hose. And I immediately related to you yeah. saying that people that, that you have a fear of being too much. I a hundred percent relate to that. And a fear of being too fabulous. I relate yeah. to that too. Yes. Now that I say that to you, that's something we would talk about a lot. And, and I would try to encourage you is to also be as fabulous as you are. Cause you, you, I would get glimpses of famous bites. Like we, I was like, Oh, there's your Schumer. There's your Schumer energy, which is just like filling out the suit and owning it. And like, we would see it coming up in certain decisions that we would talk through in your career. And I, I, I would identify, I was like, there's the person that knows she's fabulous. And isn't it weird though? We were watching the Sopranos again. I apologize for talking so much. I'm so excited to talk with you. Yeah. We, were, we were watching the Sopranos and I'm not saying the Sopranos isn't great, but we were noticing the reason I started watching the Sopranos. And I said this on the podcast already was because I had a bad conversation with my mother. And that show is all about fighting and arguing and being mad, killing people, getting revenge and dealing with a, in the show, it's a borderline narcissistic mother. And I was like, so the hurt part of me wanted, I keep saying mirroring, it wanted to see pain. So my pain wanted to see and reverberate with more pain. And this goes back to the trolls. This goes back to honking. And this is what Eckhart Tolle calls the pain body. The pain body wants to feed on more pain. And this is why sometimes I catch myself scrolling, looking for a negative tweet or a negative comment is because the hurt part of me. So the, it, it's such a strange solution for me to say, no, I'm going to be okay with however, I, whatever being fabulous means to me, I'm going to make peace with that instead of being like, they're all going to laugh at you. They're all going to laugh at you. I'd just be like, no, it's okay. I, I, I'm safe. I'm okay just now. And I don't need to hide. And that feels very bitesy to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been saying to, I've been saying that to like my, my fat. Um, I've lost 10 pounds now. And so I'm 15 pounds overweight for people who haven't seen me or whatever. <laughs> and, um, and one thing I've been doing instead of like hating it and trying to get rid of it is tell my fat, like, I love you. Thank you for protecting me. Thank mm. you for trying to keep me safe. I will no longer be needing your services. I have enough. Laura. And I'm safe. And just like thanking it and then saying goodbye. It is so on topic. It's all the same thing, by the way. It doesn't matter what your thing is. It's all the same thing. And I, I feel very strongly that it has ties to safety, child self stuff, and you're, and you're looking to recreate environments. I, we paused it so many times watching The Sopranos going like, that's like my dad. That's like my mom. That's like whatever it is. 
like when you'd see the different styles of, of confrontation or the way that people express themselves and, and would just, it was an hour long episode would take us two and a half hours to get through. I actually think that was valuable. At a certain point we had to go like, I don't know if this is what we need. <laughs> I think you're going to love this. There was this book that I read. I, I'm forgetting the name of it. And I, I'm so sorry to people, uh, but I bet you could find it. Um, and he's one of the talking heads in the movie. Um, uh, what is it called? Hungry for Change. So anyway, that guy talks about the link between our brains and our our bodies holding on to fat. And he was very interested in that. And he told a story of his cat who was really, really overweight. And then he started putting his cat on a diet and the cat would not lose weight. They were, And they were completely controlling it. They were giving it less food. So when you when you think of hard science, you're just like, well, it's burning the same amount of calories. It's as active as it normally is, and we're feeding it less. So calories less than blah, blah, blah. You will lose weight. The cat was not losing weight. The cat liked to fuck with this dog next door because the dog was tied up, and it would always sort of harass the dog. One day, the dog gets off its chain, chases the fat cat, and bites the cat's leg. Um, the cat proceeds to, in the next month, lose whatever, the equivalent of 30 human pounds. The cat becomes a skinny cat because it got through to the cat that it was too slow to run from the dog and it was safer to be fast. And once that block happened, the cat lost the weight. So this book is filled with all these meditations. It's all mindfulness stuff, which by the way, for those of you that are like me, that are like, I need to read this book, you could also just try what I'm about to say, which is you meditate, meaning you quiet yourself, and you tell yourself that you're safe. You try and get in touch with the child self in you that doesn't feel safe, that make no mistake, when Pete's eating an entire pizza, it's because he's trying to feed little Pete. He's trying to say, like, don't worry, there's an abundance of food and, and safety here. And that's a, that's a nice thing to do. But to replace that with like a healthier, like you're safe, you're not in danger anymore. Sort of the opposite. I thought I needed to be heavier to slow down and, and, and keep weight on my body so I could survive because clearly a famine is coming because clearly everything is so volatile in my house. But you need to tell your body you're safe. It's okay. And you can do that. Again, I don't mean to put anybody down if they're watching The Sopranos. We were like, I don't know if watching the show is contributing to our feeling of being safe in the world not just in the in the current climate but just like in general i think this is our pain body seeing itself and wanting to mirror itself and instead we're like what if we just tried to you know fill it with some some safer stuff yeah Isn't that crazy? Well, i've been bitten on the leg by a dog and i didn't lose any weight <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's only cats. There's a disclaimer. They were like, this only works for cats. That makes sense then. Don't. But, um, COVID, that makes me think of COVID because that was something that like really got through to me was seeing the statistics and, um, and hearing that it affects people who are obese much more often and much more severely. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I don't know if it's still true. I mean, who knows anything about this thing? You know what I mean? But that yeah. was something that I read at one point. And it scared me because I was getting closer and closer to obesity. And I just was like, my life really might depend on getting this thing under control. Yeah. 
That just happened with a, another friend of mine who was on this podcast. I don't think you'd mind me saying, but David Nichter and the great Buddhist teacher, he got really healthy during this time because I think it did bring to the forefront, like, if something happened, this is this is the system that will be working on it. By the way, I do want to be careful here, not um, fat shame, which I don't even like that term because I have to say fat, yeah. <laughs> body shame, body shame. Yeah. I don't want to body shame. I'm a soft boy. And I understand, and I have been, um, and I understand that plight. So it's not just like, hey, don't you care if you get a disease, it'll be harder. But if that, if that led you to a, a healthy place, that's nice for you. I'm, try, I'm trying really hard to be super sensitive right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, and I got a support group. Like, I couldn't do it by myself. So I'm definitely not one of those people who's like, you should just eat less, because I couldn't eat less. If I wanted to eat less, I would have done it when I was 10 years old. But isn't that... That's what I love about that cat story and that approach to going in Mm -hmm. like all of this meditation and seeking out my own prejudices and my own racism, and my own ugliness and my own everything gross inner change is outer change. I understand that we're in a time now that we need outer change and protests and, and reform. And that is beautiful. So that is, this has nothing to do with that. I'm just saying the work we do inside is outside. You sometimes see it, in a change in somebody's body. But when it comes to like, I, I was recently talking to Val about this. I was like, my whole life, my sexuality was so shaped by porkies. Remember porkies? They're looking through the, the hole into the girl's shower. I remember you telling me about it, but I had never saw it. I told you about porkies. Oh my God. Hilarious. That I never really understood. And I don't know if I, I think I'm closer to understanding. I don't know if I understand it yet, but I never really understood what people meant by rape culture. And it's similar to any type of prejudice, but like my sexuality being formed by like women or things, we look at them through a hole in the shower so we can like literally objectify them. They're things, so much of sex was like conquest, like get laid and all that sort of stuff is objectifying and, and using people to like service yourself that that is an awakening that comes through like meditation and introspection and not shying away from like hey you grew up in this culture that is having all of these issues that's having issues of race that's having issues of sexism that's having issues of cold callous capitalism all these ugly things do you think it's in you because guess what motherfucker it is it was in your media. It was, it was modeled for you. And again, I don't, I don't want to sound too bleeding heart here, but I'm just like me sitting and, and facing those things, just like Luke Skywalker going into the cave and finding Vader. He cuts open the mask and it's him inside. That is the work of meditation. And those changes are, it's not just about like relaxing or sleeping better. It's about changing how you are in the world and it doesn't work with repression. So it might be meditation, it might be therapy, but it's definitely light. It's definitely like letting things in and going like, how have I participated in that? And it's, and it's hard conversations. And that's what makes people like you and Val really valuable because you're like, wait, have I... To, to have better sex with Val, and I've talked about this a lot, you need to get past the idea that you're like, 
Ooh, this is, this is naughty. She's letting me have sex with her. I'm getting, I'm at the buffet now. <laughs> like that's, that's what little Pete learned. Ooh, like I'm seeing a naked lady. Like you, you've completely lost touch with, that's a person. That's another thing. And this, that prejudice is in the same family of any other type of prejudice, of any other type of binary, black and white, this or that, good guys, bad guys, women, men, fucked up thinking that keeps us so separate, so angry, so sad, and probably eating pizzas and trying to reconcile <laughs> with, yeah. your dark, with your dark foundations. Yeah, well, and getting over that mentality and that like cultural paradigm 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 um (laughs) it's like a huge part of like my recovery with my body like the acceptance of the fact that like this is not for other people to look at this is for me to live in yeah and i I want a body that feels good to live in yeah it's not for aesthetics it's not to look but i mean i think that i'll feel better about the way that i look because that's like what I've heard from other people who are in this support group that I'm in, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and they, and they look great. And like, I, you know, I don't want to fat shame anyone either, but I, what I have seen is like that when people recover from compulsive eating, which is my deal, they get thin, they get thinner than I would think they would. Mm. Um, and they um and they feel better so i want that i want all of that but not not to be more attractive and get more attention from men because i think that will be bittersweet because i've starved myself before and gotten down to a low weight before and i got a lot of attention from men and nothing made me sadder because i was like i didn't realize how badly i was being treated until everyone started giving me attention and then i was like oh my god i've been ignored I've had similar feelings ha- after being on TV. I'd go on the road and be at some club where I had a traumatic memory of how rude they were to me. And then they were nice. And you'd think the American narrative, the movie narrative is, then I go like, you're goddamn right. I want a Perrier and lime. Woo! Dead, I would be so sad. I was like, that's what you wanted. It's the opposite of Mr. Rogers. It's the opposite of inherent dignity. It's earned dignity. It's earned respect that like you were withholding. It's bad parenting. It's not unconditional love. It's not flow. It's not grace. It's not peace. It's not gentle. It's not kind. It's my version. My boy version was I've succeeded and now you're being nice to me. And my heart fell into my, into my heels of my feet. It was one of the worst feelings in the world. But to go back to what you were saying, because I do want to be careful about body shaming, what, but I, I think we're being good is, is what I'm saying, I hope, is because you're saying, hey, eat less. Isn't that our point? The issue of weight, the issue of me with weed, even the issues of success all come down often to a, some sort of childhood feeling of inadequacy of unworthiness, of loneliness, of sadness. Certainly this isn't true of of all the people that smoke weed or all the people that are ambitious or all the people that might have a few extra pounds. But I'm just saying in my case, these issues are all one issue, which is be as fabulous as you are. 
there's a difference between loving yourself with a pizza and medicating yourself, which is what I'm saying I do. We would come home after shows. I'd eat the entire mini bar. I had to tell my travel agent, I was like, can you please tell the hotels to empty out the mini bar? I even said, you can leave the liquor. For some reason, that message has been received. I don't drink. But fucking Twizzlers? The, the, the path I would go down, what am I feeding? What am I trying to feed? It's almost trying to reconcile the Pete that got the standing ovation at the club, then goes back to the hotel and he doesn't know what to do with it. That's what I'm saying by be as fabulous as you are. You got a standing ovation. Fucking bites it. Own it. You worked hard on that. You delivered. You sweated. You bled from your head and you still did it. You don't have to now eat until you feel shame to balance out the feeling. And while I'm preaching, you also don't have to date someone that curbs your excellence and curbs your light and curbs your feeling of of worthiness even if your parents did that for you even if when you got the trophy in soccer they told you it wasn't the biggest trophy fuck that shit break it off get that shit out of your life you don't need it so we're not we're not just talking about eating too much we're talking about the issues inside would you would you talk about that bit i don't think it would ruin it i've heard it a thousand times and i laugh every time but he sort of speaks to this where you say um the comments, I wouldn't fuck her, that, or, or trans, uh, like somebody called you trans, or, and, and it, it ends with, hey, I have an idea. You don't have to, you know. Oh, that. yeah, the one where, um, I, yeah, I don't know how I can put it together, but a couple of things that I say in that are, um, you know, the guy's like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Wait, okay. Isn't it funny? We don't know our acts. We don't, I don't know. No, because I, I have 10 minutes that leads into it. So I'm like, it's like asking me to do like one part of the alphabet with like what comes after L. I, well, OP, I guess I do know that. Okay. Um. Bad example. Um, <laughs> okay. So I say something to the effect of like, I'm, I'm getting the order wrong in my head, but, um, you know, you don't have to want to fuck every single woman you see for your whole life. Right. Did you know that? (laughs) (laughs) You can just not want to fuck me. You don't need to seek me out and be like, oh, I wouldn't fuck this one. No, I wouldn't fuck you either, asshole. Yes. I'd rather. Put my clit in a rat trap. I don't know if you're. (laughs) (laughs) And now this is, this is the good relationship between two comedians touring together is that you would do that joke. I would watch you every night. I, I, I never didn't watch you. And I always laughed and I always loved it. And, and Val feels the same way. We quote your jokes. We never got tired of them. But that was the touchstone, which then became part of the joke. If you said, I'd rather put my clit in a rat trap and we're in whatever. I don't remember where we were, where it didn't work. But sometimes it didn't work and yeah. you could tell they didn't like it. Yeah. Then I would... I would use that information to go like, well, maybe I shouldn't say this or, or it's usually with riffing or like adding to something that's already gross. But I have a lot of jokes. I have the, can I fuck your daughter? All these like weird things that, and I knew that's a great joke. If it doesn't work, it's, it's kind of them. And I need to, I need to let that into my interpretation of this audience. This audience didn't like Clinton or Rat Trap. They probably won't like, 
uh, railing your daughter or whatever it is that I said. I don't remember my bits. Yeah. And we would use that. We would use that. I would be like, oh, Pete, it looks like we got a clip in the rat trap crowd tonight. And then I yep. tell them we were watching. And I, and I liked that too. And this is not completely on the topic, but I liked that too, because I liked letting the audience know at that point, which is with about 10 minutes left before Pete would go on, um, that they were being evaluated too, that they're part of the show too, and that their energy, their behavior will determine what kind of a show that they'll get, which I think was important. And I think that that was the right time for it because it's like they've seen the host and then they've seen about half of my act and or enough of my act. You know what I mean? That it's like, okay, you're going to see your headliner soon. That's right. So like be ready for it because the point of the host is not to make people laugh. The point of the feature is not to make people laugh. Both of our jobs really are to get the audience ready to laugh at the headliner. And I mean, the best way that I know to do that is to make people laugh. Right. <laughs> That's <laughs> as funny. A host or as a feature, but you know, um, but it's not our show. Yeah. But we had, we, we transcended that. I love that. That's your approach, but it, I've sorry to make this such a love fest. I've never seen so many tweets where people are like, what was the name of the middle? Really? Cause they're not ready to remember it. Cause they're just like, this is the bullshit. It's yeah. almost like the attitude you have. I'm pretty sure I saw like, I don't know who it was. The head in the, Oh no, I saw the head in the heart open for somebody. Then years later, I'm buying expensive tickets to go see the head in the heart. So I've made the mistake where I'm showing up late to the band that in three years that I'll be paying to just see them and I'll be skipping their opener. But like we did transcend that. It was the two headliner show and it will be when we, when we continue, whenever we do. Thank you. Which I'm so nervous about, to be honest. Like, yeah, how do you feel? What, what's going on with you? I, well, I don't want to get too off, but it's like, we have dates and I'm just like, there's a number of ways that it could go. One is the dates are kept, but it's like, it's not, safe it's not like a, a a super safe situation <laughs> and then we're this is my okay so going back to the enneagram and the achiever the thing that's hardest for the achiever is what people think of them and um so like if it's on me to say i don't feel safe we're not coming that's my worst case scenario i hate that i hate thinking about it it causes stress and anxiety when our remember i flew to ohio and then I called you. It was one of the rare cases where you didn't come on the same plane. And I called you and I was like, don't come. The, the, the state is going to cancel it. As much as I hated canceling those shows and I had plans to see my friend Ern who lives there um, and my friend Nader, um, I had to cancel. But I, the, my threeness was like, I'm not canceling. The state is canceling. But if you put us in a situation where coming up, we're like, hey, I have a family, we both have lives, I don't want to risk it, we have to pull out and we look bad, that, that, that's my nightmare. But then there's other variations, other gradations of it where I'm like, okay, what if we do it, but it's like the seats are, are far apart and it's the sort of blue balls experience of sort of doing it that is sort of like sad. I, I, I can see a potential of being like, it's harder for the audience to congeal that, that is, is concerning to me. So there's lots of different anxieties I have about how, when, and if, and what that'll look like. But what, what are your feelings? Are you missing 
stand up? Um, of course, of course. But I think that there's so much integrity in what you did with Ohio, you know, um, in, in like you flew out and then we didn't do the shows. And so I feel safe. Cause it's like, you're not, you're not my dad. And I don't think of you as my dad or as a dad figure, but like little Lara doesn't know the difference. Right. And I like <laughs> that I'm attached to a person who uh, is safe and is at least considering those things. And I mean, it's been three months. So if we went out and, and I know that nothing has changed, but um, except that a lot of people have been under lockdown for three months. Um and I was watching Dave Chappelle's new thing and the people sitting far apart. It's so funny. And maybe you can relate to this. I was like, oh, my God, can we keep the seats like that forever? That looks amazing. <laughs> All the seats sitting apart. I'm like, fuck, yes. Like, I'm so sorry for everything that's happening. Obviously. It's yeah. a nightmare. It's a trauma. Obviously. But, like, I am all about staying six feet away from people. Laura. You are so me. Val, we were talking about every once in a while when we remember that it's Friday, Val will tell me how many weeks it's been. And then she, like when this recently happened this weekend and she goes, and you're loving every minute of it. (laughs) The same part of me that's calmed down by work relationships. And again, I don't think I have to say this, but what a nightmare. I hate the suffering. I hate the disease. I hate the economic ramifications, the social ramifications, all of it. My personal experience, my anxiety has been lowered living in a world where I'm like, I don't have to make as much small talk. The first thing that you and I bonded over was that you were wearing earplugs in the Largo green room. <laughs> and Val said that night, she was like, I think you and Lara would get along. And I said, Why? And she said she was wearing earplugs in the green room. And she knows that even though, look, I've done a good job putting big spotlights on my comfort zone, but those might be misleading. This is my comfort zone, talking one-on-one with somebody that can make me seem very gregarious and very extroverted. And don't get me wrong, I often am. And the stage, that also looks very extroverted and very comfortable. The truth is you and I bond so hard over the fact that it's like, people too close, people too loud, even though I am too loud. It's like you and I have had so many laughs in green rooms where I'm like, where you and I both are like, close the door. Oh my God, close the door. Close or, the door. Turn the music down. Why is the green room shaking with the bass? We are in touch with the, my child self definitely wants it motherfucking quiet. It hears voices through a wall and it thinks it is unsafe it thinks the world is going to end in the same way that the the lower part of my brain that is malfunctioning or let's say over functioning and tells me to eat everything in sight same part of my brain hears if forget it if they're fighting but if somebody walks by on my street you wouldn't know what my stomach does. It, it's such a weird thing to share, but I, I hope it's helpful. My stomach jolts and twists that like if I just hear three people walking down my street, which I often do, and I've acclimated, and I wouldn't say people would notice. I don't think Val necessarily notices, except I tell her uh, because we talk about everything because we're best friends. But 
that part of me, when I see people watching a show picnic style, like, which is what Chappelle's special was, I was like, yeah, why do I have to sit elbow to elbow? I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I hate watching how, pe- how closely together people have to sit at comedy clubs. I'm like, if you put me that close with strangers, I'll, I'll leave. I won't watch. I won't watch the show. I'll sit That's in right. the back or I'll like, I, I just can't um, do it. If I'm not on an end, if I'm not close to an escape, I just can't. And I, and I won't do it. It's not that I can't, I physically could, but that's not the space you want to be in when you're watching a show for your own amusement, you know? That's right. That's right. Anytime I saw a show my whole life, I wanted to be backstage or in the back standing. Yeah. Um, and that's what getting it. One of the reasons I got into show business <laughs> was I was like, I bet they're uh, a little bit more comfortable backstage. I think most people would go, yeah, but they have to do the show. They have to know the lines. They have to do this. They have to rehearse. I'm like, it goes back to the Seinfeld thing. I know how to do that. Like public speaking is so comfortable. I I have bits about this where I'm like, there's a comfort. I talk, you laugh, you clap, I leave. It's so anxiety free for me once we get up there and once it's rolling that it's actually like I haven't taken a Xanax in, in 15 years. But it feels like a Xanax. It's like the ultimate anxiety reduction is that. And sitting in a crowd and watching a show would make me feel stressed out. I'd want to be on the side. I just took another Enneagram test, which I think was social sexual. It was figuring out your balance between social energy. I, I don't even know what those terms mean. But one of the questions was, when you go to a movie, where do you sit? the best seats in the middle of the action. Do you like, there's some people I I remember you're like, you want to sit seven rows back because that's where the surround sound is or whatever. I'm just, I know where I sit at the arc light. It's, it's you, you sit uh, where the bar is because in front is where the wheelchairs go. Uh, And it's not about the view. It's about the, it's usually empty and you're on the side and you can leave. And that sounds like it's, I have some like, Oh, there's going to be an attack or something. It's not even that. If, if I'm in the middle of it, the movie will be only about what the people in front of me and beside me were doing, <laughs> which is a nightmare. What a nightmare, as I say that. What a prison, which is why I'm always trying to go like, they were talking. This is what I do now. If I'm in a movie and people are talking or being disruptive or something within reason, like they're not being too, too nuts, you just have to go like, it's more important that I can be a normal person for Val that I cannot obsess and get lost. I go like the memory is going to a movie and enjoying it. Don't, don't get sucked into that trap that my brain wants to, where I'm like, I always use this example, but it's a real one. When I saw paranormal activity, there was a guy three rows in front of me who wasn't just texting. He was scrolling through old texts. Laura, your face right now, you look dead. Old texts in a dark, like the brightest screen. Just remember when Tim said, what's up? Three weeks ago, I was like losing my mind. And this is what makes us funny. This is the same type of brain that makes us funny. But in the same way that the lower part of my brain that keeps me alive makes me eat an entire pizza because it's overacting. The part that makes me funny overacts 
and and makes it hard for me to have dinner in a restaurant in Manhattan because I'm too close to the tables next to me. I that makes me sick to my stomach. <laughs> so upsetting to me. There needs to be treatment for that. And I really related to, um, first of all, the most comedian thing I've ever heard anybody say is that you like being on stage for the personal space that you get. Like that is. Who said that? That's hilarious. Who said that, Pete? Oh. Who said that? <laughs> I'm like, I feel the same way. I'm like, uh, I think so. I agree with that person. I agree with that person. I a hundred percent. I I totally, totally, totally get that. I also absolutely get people walking on your street. I live with two roommates right now. And anytime a door opens or footsteps go to the kitchen, my nervous system kicks into figure, you know? I subletted Craig Baldo, a comedian, a friend of mine from New York. I subletted his place and I had a roommate and he lived alone and I lived there. And he said something I'll never forget. I go, what is it like living alone? I think I've said this to you before. He goes, you never hear keys jingling in your door. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, mwah, mwah, like that. <laughs> and don't get me wrong. My, my roommate was Matt McCarthy. And I think of that so fondly, the forced socialness of that, because he was a great roommate and a great yeah. friend. But let's be honest, people with uh, nervous systems like ours benefit from like, no, like, we're we're the nervous parents that are like you could have called, <laughs> like, like we like I need to know where people are. There's a part of my brain that's like worried about them or worried about myself or worried, just worried. So I, I totally understand that. Are you, well, that's a little personal, but are you thinking about moving in with this guy? Yeah, actually, we are. We are. Is he a commercial pilot? No, he's a flight instructor. Oh, that's right. So you don't have to live necessarily near LAX. I feel like that. No, but that's like where we're looking um, is near that. Because like I, my two places I go the most when stuff is normal are West Hollywood and LAX. And so we're looking at like Culver City area. Oh, that's great. Because he teaches in like Hawthorne and Torrance. That's great. That's cool. Yeah, so we're looking around the airport because that That's, seems to be like the halfway point. So you're excited about that? I'm excited for you. I'm so excited. It's so crazy that you asked me that because we actually are moving any day. Like, I don't know what I'm gesturing to. There's nothing in my room. My room is packed up. Yeah. <laughs> we were waiting to hear back from a place about moving in tomorrow. And they said they would get back to us tomorrow. And mm. so... Finally, we like followed up yesterday. I mean, we'd been following up and they said that they went with someone else, which is like, makes no sense. But, um, oh no. So we're like looking at places right now. But I haven't, t- I mean, I paid my rent through the end of the month. Hmm. And, um, I can go stay with him if we don't find a place by then. So it's not, I don't want you to worry for me. I'm, yes. um, <laughs> I think I have shot you off a few texts, you and a couple friends. I do worry. I worry yeah. about people and I worry about people that aren't able to work. And I'm just like, that's my dad energy. That's going to be something Leela's going to have to reckon with where I'm just like, do you have enough to eat? Which is, which is a good instinct. I don't want to get rid of that, but I'm, no, I'm totally. glad you're okay. And it, means so, and it means so much to me because like you have, you have like, 
you have been there for me through this and it means it means a lot to me well this has been a very self-serving podcast i'm going to release it twice (laughs) (laughs) i've really enjoyed that here's what i want to talk about um there's a couple things I want to talk about. One is your experience because you're in love and that's so wonderful and I'm so happy and I'm going to tell Val and she's going to be so happy. Hey. Your time dating though, I know most people and a lot of people listening are where you were, which that bitesy place is so beneficial. When I was watching you, so the one that I, and we can edit this out if this isn't a comfortable thing, but remember when we were in Disney World which was awesome. Um, which remember being in that line and we were so miserable to be in that line. But now with the quarantine, I'm like, we don't know how good we had it. We were surrounded by all those people. Even the part of me that doesn't like being surrounded. I was like, I still remember some of the faces and the kids that I saw running around. I was like, it was good. Like we should have enjoyed that. We were just with a mass of people. I think about eating that Mexican food with you in the middle of a million people. That's right. Couldn't have been more crowded. And it was at the Mexican restaurant that you showed me this video that you were very, not, well, I'm going to say obsessed with of this guy. And it was sort of demonstrating how good he was with kids and how loving and sweet he was. And you were doing what I always would do, which was I'd really like throw myself into the future and be like, that probably means they're this and they're that, and we're probably going to get together. I would just love to share with the listeners what you've learned and what your experiences were in the perils of online dating. Because I I would watch you doing that and what you learned and your perspective on it, I think would be very valuable to people that are the, the thousands of people that are going through it right now. Yeah. I mean, everything that I've learned is like such a cliche, but I also appreciate talking to you about it and talking to my sister about it because you guys are both with your soulmates. And my experience of talking to people who are with their soulmates is that they're like, we've been with him, you know, because like I know. And my sister actually was the one who suggested we move in together. And my sister like her husband is a pastor and they met at church camp when she was 15 and they were virgins when they got married. Wow. And she was like, well, if you know, you know, cause she's never heard me talk about anyone like this, you know, wow. I really feel like I found my guy. And when I met him, it was like, I was able to stop holding it back. And I didn't realize how much I'd been holding it back, but I've held it back for everyone else. I've not wanted to text too much. I've not wanted to say too much. I've not wanted to let them know how much I was thinking about the future because I thought I was crazy because I was a little bit. But with this guy, it's like, I can say anything. I told him I thought he was my soulmate a weekend and he kept talking to me. And I think that that was a little Lara being like, how safe are you really? You know? Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Testing the limits a little bit. But also to that. And And he tells me now that like, he knew we were then, but he Aww. didn't want to say it because he was like, I'm like marathoning this thing. Like I didn't wow. want, you know, um, and he tells me now that like he knew that he was in love with me the second time we talked because we just started. Um, we could just talk for so long and it felt like no time had passed. And then we were like, holy shit, we've been on the phone for four hours. I've never talked to anybody for four hours on the phone. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That's really great. Yeah, you're right. And I love that these, um, that your sister, you mentioned the church camp and stuff, even they are telling you to quote, live in sin, 
but it, but obviously it's not that it, it's it's this you're in this flow you found this wonderful yeah. thing well, and when, go ahead no, no. But I just I just remember the question because I have just been gushing about him but to people who are like online dating um, I guess I always thought that I should keep giving people a chance and keep giving people a chance until I got to know them and now I feel like that's all gone out the window and because because in all of these messages of people being like, hi, how are you? Hey, what's going on? LOL. You know, feeling like, <laughs> dying, feeling like I'm pulling teeth. Then this guy like exploded into my inbox. Oh my gosh, I've been watching your stuff. You're amazing. What's your favorite thing about this? What about the Like actual messages interested in getting to know me as a person. Mm. Paragraphs, walls of texts right away. Just like someone I could fucking talk to. Mm. The way that I can talk to my friends. Like I mm-hmm. found my best friend. Mm. I think when you're talking about not just how much you wanted to give relationally and communicate, which is again what I enjoy so much about you is I'm like, whatever I have, and I obviously have this with Val and the three of us have done it uh, together in the same car. We've just been like, Hey, let's air out this issue. And by the time we get where we're going, it's been resolved, which is usually what you need therapy for. But you're like, Oh, wow. We found it. We got that value of like, you're not crazy. (coughs) You're not wrong. You're not an asshole, which is usually what my therapist, I haven't seen him in a while, but DGP would say, it always just be like, you're okay. Like you're not hurting anybody and your feelings are normal. Isn't it crazy that we live in a world where you do have to pay someone to go, you're okay. I see you. I've been there. You're normal. You are worthy of love. It is okay. But we would do that for one another. But in not just your fire hose of love that you wanted to give and receive, but you and I have had a lot of talks about your power. So I sort of jokingly call it your Amy Schumer energy but you are so funny and that is, and I've told you about the small part of me that can relate to the idea of not feeling like you could handle that. Like this is a person that's on a trajectory that Joe Rogan loves that, that I was just going to say, I love, I'm just saying the people love, but you were, I, my, I, you were also my thought. I was like the P Holmes loves, <laughs> but that, I mean, we, we've been around And we love you and we think you're great. And you were on the Spade show and they love you. And you're on the Spade show doing stand-up, the first stand-up they had. All these things are happening. But all all those things aside, just who you are is very funny and very powerful. And then I was hoping you could talk a little bit about, not anymore, but how you had to navigate that. Because that goes back to be as fabulous as you are. That goes back to like, didn't you feel like you had to keep a tamp on your light a little bit? Yeah, for sure. And I even like not dumbed my profile down, but like tried not to show off too much, tried not to show too much of who I was, which is like an up and coming stand-up comedian who's been on TV, you know? And, um, and so then I just like leaned into it. And was like, no, I am powerful. I am amazing. You probably can't handle it. So (laughs) see yourself out if you can't. And then the one person who can, that's who I'm trying to attract. I'm not, I'm not playing the numbers because I was looking for something serious, you know? Right. Um, 
And it's like, yeah, I could dial it down. And you out there, you can dial it down. You can dial it back. You can try to dim your shine. But then who is that going to attract? It's going to attract someone you have to dim your shine for. Do you want to be with someone who dims your shine? Because even Randolph said this, and I like love this. I will cross the street to avoid someone who dims my shine. So I sure as shit won't like change my stuff so that I'm attracting that person. And it really just like, I, I also, gosh, I don't know. This is like, so all over the place. I believe that karma is a bitch. And, and I say that in the American incorrect sense of karma, just meaning like what goes around comes around. I like really believe that. And I think that when I made the decision to tell that guy who had a girlfriend that I wasn't going to talk to him anymore. And then stand by that, not just out of respect for myself, but out of respect for fucking yeah, her, yeah. you know? Um, I think that I opened up a channel in the universe to bring me what I am ready I, for, it's, you know? I mean, over and over and over, it doesn't even pique my interest as much anymore because I see it so many times in the things that I study and read, but they're like, closing this opens that. And there's something so just true about the way energy works in the world. And I don't even mean that in a woo-woo way. I mean, look at water, look at heat, look at air. So as it is here, it is with us. The same principles are at play when it comes to feelings, emotions, and possibilities and availabilities. So there's a real, I I have a friend who's going through a hard time and I was like, this is a huge fire right now. And I didn't even offer this necessarily because sometimes it's a, you know, is this a fix it or a feel it as my father-in-law says. And I thought it was just a feel it, but like in my fix it brain, I was like, you are going to like, so many things are closing. He was getting so many no's. I was like, you don't even know behind you how many things are opening up, which sounds like good old fashioned, like Pixar, like feel goodery. But I, I firmly believe that knows can be really valuable info. But also what you were saying about putting out a muted version of yourself, a dimmed version of yourself, you said, who are you trying to attract with that? And it keeps yeah. coming back, the child self and the wounded self. Again, what Eckhart Tolle, if you want to read The Power of Now or A New Earth, fantastic books that talk about this. Those are my first recommends for people that aren't very spiritual but want to talk about this stuff. He's like, your pain body wants to exist and it's, it's the hurt part of you and it wants to recreate the hurt. So, so often when we're looking for partners, and I see this with my first wife, you're looking for what's familiar, whether or not it's good. And you're looking for what might be safe, whether or not it's good. And you're, so I, I looked up this quote, I think that might've been what made me crush, uh, crash, but um, it's a Nelson Mandela quote. You've probably heard it. I'm going to read it. Do you mind? No, I would love to I think to you're going to love it. He says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us, that is within us. 
It's not just in some of us, it is in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Isn't that what we're talking about? Yeah. Isn't that it? It's so beautiful. That's be as fabulous as you are. And that, for you, as a woman, forgive me for trying to think I understand, but I think I understand based on our past conversations, is especially hard because uh, I, now I'll speak with authority as a man. So many of us are cowards. <laughs> and so many of us, especially if we have the porkies mentality, which is that women are to be owned and women are to be so wowed with us that they come into our possession and they only stick around because we're so glorious and look at how much money I make and look how loud and broad shouldered I am. If we have that Porky's young boy shame of how could I get that beauty in this ugliness, then of course, if somebody is not only a woman and already intimidating to men, but also, and all women are, I'm not saying that, but in this overt way, shining literally under the lights, literally name in lights, literally on television. I mean, you already did address it, so don't feel like you have to, but I I was, I'm sort of poking you in that direction of what it's like as a female comedian, especially in, in the dating world and just in general, where you have to like pretend to not be fabulous so as to not scare the gender that thinks it's supposed to be fabulous. That's, that's like the cultural narrative is, uh, I, yeah, we have Superwoman, but let's be honest, Superman is, is the one everyone seems more comfortable with. Yeah. <laughs> well, it made me mad and it made me so irritated because the more successful I got, the harder it got to date. And it was very, very clear that, I mean, I, I hadn't changed, you know, it was just like the external stuff. And I got just madder and madder. I just got madder and madder at men. So I got more and more resistant. And I more was like, I know that there's someone out there who's going to be all about this, who's going to be attracted to this. And if if I don't see him around, I'm going to just focus on my career because I know that that's not happening right now. This is very much happening right now. So I'm just going to use this time to focus on that. And I did. And I have found a guy now who is so attracted to my power. He's so attracted to my power that I'm so glad that I didn't dull it down so that I could find a lesser man who's intimidated by me. Cause that, cause guess what? Like that guy is not good enough for me. He's just not, you know, And and I can say that not as like a supermodel, but just as like an amazing woman. I'm an amazing woman. And looking back, especially now that I found this person, I have said so many times, thank God nothing else worked out. (laughs) Thank God I was not able to make anything else work because I tried and I cried and I prayed, like I begged to have some of these other guys work out. Thank fucking God I did not get my way. I'm so happy. (laughs) That is so profound. And that's what we don't know in the moment. And again, I know this sounds a little Disney Pixar, but I love Disney Pixar. These no's can lead 
And I'm so happy that it has led you to that place where you're just like, I think the Avid brothers have a line where it's like all those broken relationships were stones on the path that led to you. But the reason we love those, I don't mean bad sappy, I mean sort of saccharine, very sweet sentiments is it's not just true romantically, it's true in every aspect of our lives, which as Nelson Mandela kept quoting God, that's my understanding of, of, of truth and mystery as well, is that it's from not being perfect that we come, you read my book, that's the whole point. That's the whole point, was that it's the divorce, it's the horniness, it's the fear, it's the woundedness that takes us to the place where we go, thank God I didn't get my way, which, and I'm almost done and I'm going to put it to you, I'll say it a million times, I've said it a million and I'll say it a million more. Richard Rohr says, the mystery in God is revealed to us through great love and great suffering, but his definition of suffering is not getting your way. It doesn't mean like, Mm -hmm. ow, it doesn't mean pain. It means not getting your way. So with Leela, I will never tell her that she makes me suffer, but she makes me not get my way constantly. That's, that's what this love is, especially at this place. I take her, I already told the story, but you take her on walks and you have this idea of how the walk should go and where it should lead and how it'll circle back before we both get too hot and tired. She just does not have any of that, nor should she. She just wants to pick up that stone. And she goes, stone, stone. And she's the cutest thing in the world. And I'm going to explode if we talk about her anymore. But that, (laughs) and Leela, if you listen to this when you're older, please hear me when I'm saying that suffering, not pain, that's me yielding. That's me surrendering. And then the truth and the love at the other end of that, here in the baby, That's how the universe works. It's me dropping my story of a walk or an afternoon, or I should be playing Zelda right now, but instead I'm watching Inside Out for literally the 75th time. But there she is putting her little strawberry cupcake head, leaning it on my cheek, and you go, hey, dipshit, maybe you're not the best person to steer the car all the time. Maybe it's in getting some no's that you actually get where you want to go. And that's, that's, to me, that's everything. It's not just your story and it's not just me and Leela. The world works. It gets turned into like God works in mysterious ways. Fuck that shit. I don't want to be cliche. I'm saying it's not our design. It's not our willpower. It's not our, it's not even our effort and our good intentions and our good behavior that reveals the big mystery it's actually fucking up (laughs) it's actually not getting your way. Yeah. Well, and that's like, I, that's makes me think of like turning my will over to the care of like a power greater than myself, like turning it over to the universe because my experience is that what I feel comfortable calling God, what God has in mind for me, if I let it happen is so much better than anything I would settle for for myself than anything that I would think is the best I could possibly do. I think it's better than I could possibly do. And the universe has something that's so much better than I even can imagine when like it says no to me with stuff and that you're going to love this conversation. (laughs) So like I had, I was like, you know what? I don't really need to get married. Like whatever. I don't really need to have, 
a kid. I have a career. I like sleeping late. I like focusing on myself. I like being able to travel every weekend. I don't need to have a kid. I have a great career that most people never get to have anything like this, you know? And so when um, my boyfriend brought up yeah, you know, he was like, do you want to have kids? Like, do you, like, what is that something? He basically was like, I've seen your act where I'm like, I want a husband and a baby. And if you don't want to give me that shit, get the fuck out of my way. <laughs> like, is that really how you feel? Like, what if that is just jokes and what is the truth? And, um, and I said all of that to him. You know, I was like, well, I really was going through like a phase then. I had like baby fever pretty bad, but really marriage is not like a big deal to me and like I could never get married and I would be happy um and like it's the same thing with kids like with my schedule and how much I want to travel I just I really love my career and I don't see how that could work you know and then I was like what about you and he was like oh I would like love to have a kid or two and I was like I will get pregnant today like I will get pregnant today I will have your baby nine months from today, I'll do it right now. <laughs> I wish this and was a video podcast because you you <laughs> lunged to the camera for emphasis. <laughs> I will get pregnant today. Oh I will get God. pregnant today. I will have your baby anytime you want. And that's just such a good, that's like the example. It's such a good example of like, I was like, okay, well, I don't really need this. And then what I got sent is like, I might just get everything I fucking want. That's right. Like, I might just get everything I want. I love what you said. First of all, what a wonderful thing. I've always seen you, for what it's worth, as like just a wonderful mother. Just what it's worth. You don't have to do that. If you call me in 10 minutes and say, that's not for me, I'd go, Laura, I've always seen you as just a powerful rocket. Go whatever you want to do, you know. I'm your friend. I'm on your side. But this being the side we're on right now, I completely see it. And it's a mitzvah. And it makes me really, really happy. Um, (laughs) But also what you said is, believe it or not, I say that because we've sort of lost this narrative. Uh, Jesus, obviously, that's sort of my tradition, tells so many stories where the punchline is somebody expects, I'm paraphrasing, somebody expects to be given, uh, I'll put in money to make it really easy. Somebody works a day for $5 and then the punchline is always, and then the, the, the field owner gives them a hundred thousand dollars. Like there's so many stories about as Rob Bell, my dear friend, my homeboy says, you can't divide infinity. So if you think about the universe, which is infinite, and it is expansive, and you are a part of it, and you can be in tune with it and in flow with it. It is this recurring theme of it wants more than you even want for yourself. And that includes denying what you think you want. I'm so glad I didn't get my way to give you what you actually needed. Now, I want to give a note because I know people are struggling and people aren't in places like this that, like, it sounds like what I'm saying is things need to work out in ways that we understand now. The example I always give is I got hit by that car and then I couldn't get that job that I wanted. And then we always, our ego wants, but then three months later I got an even better job. That's a, that's a Western story. Jobs and prosperity and money are, those are all 
values that are not necessarily universal values. Things, the gifts that might be given you might not even look like gifts. They might not even make sense to your rational mind. And you need to go through them because what your soul, what your heart needs might be different from what your culture told you you want. And this has been, this has been a big part of my life is like, what was I told that I wanted? What was the dream that I inherited? And what actually is my dream? What is actually what's written on my heart to do? And those might be different things. But I, I, I just feel my father's energy. My father would always be like, things work out for the best or things happen for a reason. And I'll tell you right now, when you're in the middle of a divorce, you want to say, fuck you, fuck you in the face. It's fun to have these nice moments where we can go, look how it worked out. I'm just speaking to the people that are in the thick of it, that are in the shadow, that are in the dark cave, and it doesn't look like it's going to get well. The way that it gets well might have might not look at all, at all how you thought looking well might look. Because they're very, very strange and mysterious and weird gifts that are given at the end of these things. And they don't always look Disney Pixar. I just want to give that footnote. And say, in this case, Laura, come on, that's some good stuff. <laughs> that's real. Makes me really, really happy. Yeah, we, we do. You and I have talked about God before. We talked about God in, when we were in the Fast Pass line. Remember when we went to Disney World and we were running out of time? So we would go up to people and, and ask them if they were comedy fans. <laughs> Yeah, it was so good. It didn't work. It didn't work most of the time. Sometimes it did. It. I was good at. I would identify the target, and then Pete would um, pounce. And Pete was great at pouncing, and I was great at picking the target. Have, and it usually yeah, you'd have to pick the right type of Disney World employee. And we even weren't going to talk about this because it does sound so privileged and show busy. But we literally, you had never been to Disney World, and we had to leave. No. You went when you were six. That's right. But we, you, we wanted to go on Space Mountain, and we couldn't wait in the line. So we went up to the front, and we told the truth. We were just like, we're in town doing shows. Uh, she uh, hasn't been since she was six. She just wants to go on Space Mountain. And remember, the guy said, "Tell me a joke." I remember yeah. the guy. I think I told him my dollar store joke. Um, what's the employee discount at the dollar store? Do you think it's just take it? And that got us into, into Space Mountain. And as we were walking, we uh, talked about God a little bit and your higher power. Forgive me for not remembering the exact details, but I was wondering what, if anything, you were comfortable sharing how you view the universe. Because um, I, I remember there was a story from your youth and the billboards. Is that right? Yeah. So when I like was in treatment, I mean, when I got help for my, um, alcohol and drug addiction, um, I was, it was like higher power based work. And I was like, well, I don't believe in God. I don't think that this will work for me. Um, and so I had to just identify a power greater than myself. And the first one was just like the cosmos, like that's clearly a power greater than myself. And so my, um, person I worked with took me to the planetarium and we looked at all of these pictures of the cosmos because I always when I was having a problem would look at like a picture of the cosmos look at pictures look at this book and pick like the tiniest m most like just the tiniest dot and then would be like that is bigger than the biggest like than everything we know mm. about you mm. know 
So then how is it really a big deal that like my boss reprimanded me today? You know? When in doubt, zoom out. Um, when in doubt, yeah. zoom out. I love <laughs> it. Um, and I was getting ready to, I was getting ready to fly across the country on my own money to hopefully be on a show, to hopefully be on TV, hopefully get to tape a set to hopefully be on TV. Just not knowing if it was going to work out. I like, it was like a lot. It was a big gamble for me. You were in Wisconsin? Um, This is when I lived in Chicago. And I showed up, I showed up at the airport and in Chicago, you take the Brown line to Midway and then between the Brown line and Midway, there's like a quarter mile of a hallway and both sides are lined with pictures of the cause. Wow. And I like really felt the presence of, gosh, I'm getting chill. I'm getting chilled. I really felt the presence of God. Cause I had, cause I had been praying like constantly, mm-hmm. like, please just, cause I, learned like if you're afraid then do it afraid and so I was like please just like direct my feet just take me through this experience walk me through this experience um and then like I saw Mm -hmm. God you know a hallway lined with the images of your higher power at a a time of extreme extreme uncertainty I can't remember so you flew to LA and did you do it I flew to Atlanta and I did it and I got on TV. Whoa. I, th- I thought for sure that story ended in my memory with, and then it all got canceled. Everything worked out. Wow. I was on the show. I taped and my mind got picked to be on TV. I mean, Laura, I feel like when you talk about a universe, universe, one, one, you know, I know there's the multiverse, but it's when you're talking about your at-homeness in this place, your belonging in this place. Did you freeze? Motherfuck. Are you there? Um, yeah, but your screen was frozen. Are we back? I heard everything you said, so it was probably recorded. You're back. You're back okay. in business. I heard, did, I, did you freeze? Motherfuck. I yeah, everything. I said motherfuck. You can yeah. keep all that. This is life on Zoom. I don't care. <laughs> Let the people hear. I'm saying you're talking about finding your inherent dignity, your belongingness in the world. And we have been, just these past weeks, steeping in serendipities and signs like that, that I really feel like we all are. And there's just like a frequency we need to bring ourselves to where you start spotting them. I had a a pitch talk about be as fabulous as you are i had a pitch and i was 10 out of 10 one of the the things that happens when i stop smoking weed is my full my full brain comes back um and i've just been very sharp (laughs) and i have to deal with that it's like my friend told me about when he was going through the program he was like when you stop drinking you feel better meaning you feel angry better, you feel sad better, you feel happy better. And I always think about that. So the price of Pete having his full brain is that sometimes I feel other things. I, I feel anxiety or I feel this because I'm not numb. So it's not always easy, but I'm 10 out of 10. The tank is full. When I'm sleeping, I'm actually sleeping. I'm not detoxing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm actually resting. Yeah. 
And so I had this pitch and on the pitch, it was a warm pitch, meaning everybody was very receptive and happy to be talking with us. And I just went for broke. And then I went in. So it was this pitch where I was really shining as bright as I could and selling and being charming or whatever I, whatever I thought would help. And then I went in and I was like, Val, this is what I think. I know you know, Val, but people might not know the price of that is that you get what we call a vulnerability hangover. Meaning I'm like, I just went on a date and I told them that I wanted to have their babies. I was like, I am in love with you. I'm in love with this project. I see this going for a long time. Please don't hurt me. I'm showing my neck. I'm showing my heart. And I said to Val, I was like, I feel naked and cold on the beach. I just feel so exposed right now. I'm going to go for a walk. I called Rabiglia. He's, he's a, a wonderful friend. Um, and I, I needed somebody that wouldn't be uh, uncomfortable or intimidated by me talking that way. I could have called you, obviously, but I, I called Mikey and I was just like, I just shone as bright as I could. And I'm feeling so kind of embarrassed, like vulnerable and, and afraid. And he talked me down a little bit. And then I started feeling better. Exercise always helps. I'm just going on a walk. And a monarch butterfly flew by my face. And this is just one of those stories where I was like, oh, they bought it. And then I found out that they did buy it. And it was such a great moment. But like, again, Disney Pixar, people would be like, butterflies, fuck you, butterfly, it doesn't mean anything. But when it happened, like you in that hallway, I'm just trying to relate. It's like falling in love. It's like a, you know, you know, sometimes it's just a butterfly. And sometimes you're like, that was the butterfly I needed to see on this walk. And, and I, I felt in the flow. Like you're saying the presence of God. I was like, I think it's okay. I think you're okay. I think the date was okay. And then you find out that you are pregnant with a new project, which is super exciting. I'll tell more about that when, I, when, I'm, when I'm able to. But like, I just know that feeling and I know how real it is. Yeah, well, and I had that feeling of like, that's, that's God. Because it's like, I was just talking to you and now you're here. You know, like I was just asking to like feel your I have, and now you're right. This is, that's so apropos. I, I'm reading one of Richard Roy's books right now. Which one is it? Which one was it? It might be just this, which is one of my favorites. I read it every day. And um, he says prayer is, is stepping into a frequency and a place of silence where, where, God's end, where you can hear God's end, but from God's end, it never stopped and it never stops. God is always communicating and reaching out. And you could say loving and desiring and wanting connection and communion and flow with you. And it's us who open up our receivers to his or there or it, the mysteries end, but the mystery is a nonstop flow of reaching out towards you. And it's us that put up our antenna. And I was just like, fuck, that's exactly what it is. So the butterfly might've flown by, but I was trying just like you were, you were getting into that place. You can call it prayer, contemplation, meditation, silence. You're being still enough that you can start getting those messages that were always coming at you just in the same way that 
the Wi-Fi signal is going through us right now, but you only see it when you when you open up the computer. I think I think that's how it works. That feels in line with my beliefs. Yeah. Well, and I know that they're like to the to the non-believer and who would be like, well, but if you look at if you look for the number eight, you're going to see the number eight every everywhere. I would say like, but so what? Like, I think that's okay. I think it's okay if I made this all up and it makes me feel yeah. better. I think it's, then then hats off to me for being able to come up with a construct that makes me feel better because I'm falling for it. I believe the illusion, yeah, sure. you know, I feel the presence of God. And if I could do that without God even existing, like more power to me. That's amazing. It's really- <laughs> you know? but I really don't care. I really don't care if I'm right or wrong because like, that's not the point. It doesn't matter. The effect on my life is the same. When I, in that quote, when Nelson Mandela calls you children of God, I, I consider that to mean there's a spark of God in all of us. That's making us operate. So I had this experience. I was on psychedelics, but I was like, Oh, this is just my imagination. I was seeing something. I saw a religious figure and I was like, this is just my imagination. And the religious figure Without, it wasn't an auditory hallucination. It was just my thoughts. But it was like, whose imagination? And I was like, oh my God. That's the feeling of separateness. That's not the universe. It's like, whose imagination? You imagine something. You merge into something. Who is doing that? We have this belief that we're the cartoon cell laid over the background of reality when you really are reality. I know this sounds very Deepak Chopra and very woo-woo, but it's like, I think my imagination's over here and reality's here. When we're back to what I was saying earlier, inner work manifests into outer reality. Outer reality changes our inner work. The line between inner and outer is gossamer thin. It's, and your imagination, I know this doesn't please, it doesn't please my ego. It doesn't please my rational mind. But your imagination being a valid and dignified piece of the universe and a part of the God consciousness is, is, uh, is not a pleasing thing. It's not easy to grasp and hold and know, but when you're like, who's imagining what? Like, it's not me. It's too, I'm out of my own depth. It's hard to talk about, but, uh, your imagination is also part of this is what I'm saying. It's part of the phenomena of reality. <laughs> yeah, totally. Let's smoke weed. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, is there anything else that we, I mean, we've been talking for even longer than a normal episode. I knew we would, but um, is there anything else we're forgetting? Oh, I wrote down, here's, here's some tips. Unless you had another God thing. I have another subject. No, if no. you feel good on that, I, I, loved, I loved what you said. Um, tips for people who come to see friends at stand-up shows. Do you remember? <laughs> Fucking God, I could still go off on that bitch if you put her in front of me today, Pete. It was only out of respect for you. No, I did go off on her. I I did go off on her. It wasn't just her. We, time and time and time again on the tour, would have people come. And I don't even know if the listeners are going to believe me, but these are comp tickets. These are people that you hook up, that you do the show. They ha- I, I guess they have no idea that performers are doing their, sh- their new hour. They're wondering how you liked it. 
every single time people would come back, every time, no one said thank you for the tickets and no one said good show. It happened, I I can't say over 10 times, but it happened a bunch of times. Never said thank you for the tickets and never said good show. And if I had to choose between those two, a million times out of a million, I'm picking just say good show. Just, just say good show. We liked the show. What are you doing? I would be remiss if we didn't cover that on our chat. For everybody listening, if you ever see a comedian after the show, especially if you did enjoy it, we're not asking you to lie, but just say great show. And if you don't want to say great show, say thanks for the tickets. That, that's if you didn't like the show. <laughs> Why to say great show? Just you know, someone liked it. Just yeah. say it. Say good job. Good job. Because it was a good job. Even if you just talked for forty-five minutes, and I just talked for thirty minutes in front of four hundred strangers, three hundred strangers. Yeah, I did a good job. I'd like to see you. Fucking there you do go. It. There's you the know? bites. Your bites of it. If you can't come up with a good job, don't go out in public. I think- that was one of the cornerstones of our, and still is, of our relationship, is getting mad for the other, which again yeah. is, actually, I have guy friends that do that for me, and it's so satisfying. You would tell me stories of being on the road, uh, and and remember, like, you got such a, you, you felt such an upgrade when we were touring, it was just a different environment, and then you'd tell me about something that happened, and I would just get so mad at the injustice and then i understand that that's a high class problem that i'm having oh the people that i comped didn't tell me a good but like you need those advocates so if there's anything for people to get out of this even if you're not touring comedians have those friends that can just be like what the fuck was that because it feels so good i don't even have to get all worked up you could just have it's like having a second liver like here's another liver that will process the toxins for me and, and even get mad when I wouldn't get mad. You would do it with like uh, certain uh, clubs that, are, that had like weird green room situations or weird boundaries being crossed. <laughs> you were always so good at being like, how did they get back here? <laughs> what are they doing back here? We're trying to get ready or whatever it was. It was so fun. Well, there were clubs for people who don't know this, which is everybody, um, there were clubs, you don't even, you would think, you would think that there would be some modicum of security. I'm not asking for an armed guard. I don't even need it to be a big guy. But you would think someone would not usher total strangers back to the green room without asking if it's okay. With Pete. <laughs> Without asking. Not only are you not stopping them, you are taking them back. No one, and they would, what kills me, what kills me is the asking in, with the person right here. Oh, he wanted to know if it's okay if he's back here. Okay, well, I now have to confront him to his face <laughs> that it's not, those are my choices or between waiting for him to leave and being polite. And saying, no, I don't want him back here. Of course I don't. Do you know how much energy I just put out on stage? All of it. The answer is always all of it. I don't have time to now one-on-one with 
total strangers, at least give the option to not to not give the option until the person's right there and then say, do you mind if they're back here is the equivalent of being like, hey, do you mind if I bring my friend along? Right. right. I, he's right here. And I'm asking in front What's of him. What's funny is. Okay. Oh, I really don't want your fucking friend along because I don't feel like getting to know a new person today and I'm going through some stuff that I was hoping I could talk to you about, which I can't in front of your friend. Or, I know technically I can, but what I mean is I don't fucking Or my head is bleeding. Or my head is bleeding and it's not a good time. Or my head is bleeding. Well, my head is bleeding right now and you would know that if you came back here by yourself without oh a group of people. But by only- See, I, I need those advocates. I have one, but... Sometimes it's very hard to be like, I'm very, very tired. I will say that if, if, if it's done properly, usually I, I would say every single time it was lovely, but every once in a while, man, it's great to have you in the green room when somebody who I, it, it was always the, my friend says you're famous people. If you're a person who just wants to tell somebody, my friend says you're famous, uh, you don't need to do that. <laughs> no, you don't. And if you're at the airport and you see someone who you think might have been on a show, you don't need to say, were you on that show? And then not say that you like the show. <laughs> Give a compliment. That's the exchange. That's, that's the, the currency. That's, that's the trade-off. If you need to say something, say something There nice. it is. That's bites. Now we're, in, now we're in a black car leaving a club. <laughs> it brought me back. Just say hi like you just say i like you they're not gonna be you're not a fucking psychopath where you're gonna be like tell me your favorite joke right. of mine no one will ever do That's that right. to you're you. safe you're safe to just say no one you're will great. know if you lie just say oh you're That's great because right. Me- guess what they are great because they're talking to you in an airport <laughs> bitch and you should have let them <laughs> the bites is strong today it's not a lie it's not the a lie bites is strong um, Laura, this has been so wonderful. Thank you for even indulging me on that. That really brought me back to the road. <laughs> wow. This has been so wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. It's such yes. a pleasure. I know you shout me out on here a lot and I really appreciate I that. Um, we, the final question, which I always ask is, can you remember the time you laughed the hardest? I laughed so hard. Yeah. I, um, a guy fell <laughs> His chair broke, okay? We were in history class. I'm so ready for this. We were in history class my sophomore year. He was sitting on a chair. We were watching, and it broke. And he was, like, hot and popular. I'm not, like, laughing at the fat kid. And he, not that fat people can't be hot, but you understand what I mean. And he stood up so fast. (laughs) And it wasn't chair breaking. It was how fast he stood up. The chair broke, he stood up so fast and looked at all of us like we did it to him. <laughs> and I laughed so much harder and longer than anyone else in the oh. class. I was embarrassed by myself oh. because it got to the point where everyone was like, it wasn't that funny. And I'm like, well, I wouldn't be laughing this hard yeah. if it wasn't that Yeah, funny. tell that to my involuntary laugh response. Tell that to me. Yeah. <laughs> that is a great answer. He stood up so fast, the chair wasn't done falling. <laughs> he, was, he was up. Yeah, it it broke it broke so fast. He was sitting on the ground on a pile of it, and he stood up so fast. It was the fast stand up that I remember. The, it was not the fall. It was the stand up that killed me. I love me. that. I remember in camp 
there was a hill that was so steep that led to the lake. And my friend Zach was like small and sporty. And he was running. I think we were running away from people. He ran down the hill. And I was like, I'll run. And do you remember (laughs) that feeling when you're running down a very, very steep hill where it turns into a gallop? Like you don't even know when it happened. But suddenly every every step is a, a, a leap. You're leaping. And you're going faster than you can control. If it was an airplane, all the controls would be shaking. You're just running. And I tripped on a root and I went flying and landed on my arm and got a big bump on it. But when I hit the ground, I stood up as soon as, because the embarrassment was so intense that I was like, you fell. But I remember the feeling of like, like Raiden and Mortal Kombat. If you've ever seen Raiden and Mortal Kombat teleport, that's how I came out. Was like, I just immediately was up. So I know how that kid felt. <laughs> that is good. What was the bit? This we have to talk about before you go. We had a bit about street. Yes, you and I. We're driving home from the Brea Improv and we were laughing so hard that it was dangerous. I was weeping with laughter and it was you and I were riffing on a premise that you had, which was that a woman, you can't live on some street name. Do you remember this? It's like two women are talking and she's like, oh, we live. done very keeping up with the joneses situation she's trying to be fancy like her fancy yes. friend and she's like where are you living now oh i'm over on windham, <laughs> windham terrace <laughs> so the setup is like a street name is important we tried to turn it into a bit we're like you no need to like where you live matters. And then you were like, imagine getting your nails done and you're trying to fit in a new, a new community. Everybody's richer and better looking than you. And they're like, oh, we live on Wyndham Terrace. Where do you live? And what was it? I live, well, I live over by, I live over by this school. Yeah, but where? It's down, you know, where is it? I live on Shard Street, okay? I live on Shard Street. The corner of Chart and Cheese. What was the you other had, one? Oh my God, it's so good. We had some. But what it was there. was, we were like, "You'll do a street that's in the town," because it started because we were on the highway yeah. and we saw something that was like Ballsack Boulevard or something like Ballsack. It was some really and bad you were like, one. I'll, yeah. I'll say I'm on the corner of Ballsack <laughs> and I'm I'm at 420 Ballsack at the corner of like. But Butterface Boulevard, or like, like it was so funny to us. We were scream laughing, screaming at a woman who died. Like it was the act out too. She didn't want to say. She was like, "I live, I, I live on um loose stool circle, like stuff like that." And then you tried it, and it died a horrible death. I was standing in the wings and I just, it was the most pure example of how 
was it impossible to convey why it was so funny to us? And then we were like, maybe we were tired. <laughs> That's why it's so interesting to watch and <laughs> to watch people do stand up for the first time because they have moments like that where everyone's dying laughing and they're like, dude, I'm going to crush. Right. I'm going to sit on stage. It's going to kill. Right. And then they say it and no one yeah. laughs and they're like, Oh fuck. And I wish more people had that moment. I wish more people would try it so that they would know how hard, which is why is. in the airport you say, I think you're great. Because it's which is why in the airport you say I think you're great. So 100%. humiliating and so precise and so difficult. I know it's also silly and fun and dumb, but like to take something that makes you laugh and then try and break down the ingredients. And I really failed. You did the bit, but I was like, here's the setup. Street names are important. Uh, if you move so, and I really tried to, because I wanted to see, it was like trying to bring a, a, a dying person into the ER to resuscitate them for an audience. That's basically what stand-up is, is you have this premise that worked here. Can we bring the, the brain transplant to these people without it losing life? And it died. It was dead. We put it in the body and nothing happened. And that is what stand-up feels like. <laughs> Do you remember, and I'm sorry, I know that you have to go, but I just can't not bring this up right now while we're talking about this. Do you remember in New York, you were doing that festival, we were in that theater where we like got lost trying to find yes. the green room, and we were waiting for John Mulaney, and so I was stretching, and you and I had talked about a bit I had about... Um, my bit, so my mom had breast cancer, she's good, she's cured, um, and... She, That's great. I didn't know she was cured. And I, and I had a joke that was like, I bet the cancer doesn't even see it coming when they cut the boobs off. And then was going to have, you yes. know, like, because the boob falls off and the cancer's on right. the boob. And it's over for right. the cancer. What happened? You know? And I was like, I'm going to intro it by saying X. I don't know. You know? And Pete was like, no, it doesn't even need that. Just say that line. That stands alone as a one-liner. Just say that line. You might have even said, trust me, but I don't think I, you yeah, did. No, I wouldn't put it past me. I thought it was so funny. Yeah. But it, it's also like, this speaks to the darkness of comedians. Like, we're used to, like, talking about dark stuff. So are a lot of non-comedians. I'm just saying, especially in, in the comedians that I know, you can say, when they cut off the boob, I bet the cancer's like, what happened? Or whatever it was. And it turns yeah. out if when you said that on stage, we remembered, oh, right, most people, that's like dropping them into cold water. They don't want that. It, yeah, it did not work. I remember that night. What a weird, what a weird anecdote to end on. <laughs> but it was just a feeling of being like, oh, yeah, they'll love this. And then just nothing. Yeah. And it is a horrible feeling that you never get used yeah. to. I mean, if you've never told a joke to 300 people and had them not laugh at yeah. all, you don't get used to it. Yeah. it. It It's like ice cold air. It doesn't matter if you grew up in a cold place. Yeah. <laughs> I wish we had the office style, a camera crew with us that could get me going like, trust me, just say the line. And then you do it, and he got nothing. And I was like, well, I can't leave the stage, yep. so I'm going to stay here and continue to tell I jokes. Think, 
I've done my closer. I've done my strongest material. I've done my second strongest material. And we are on the new stuff, That's ladies right. and gentlemen. And you don't like it, which means I really don't That's like what, it. I think that is what you said, um, too, because you're good. You're good enough of a performer and that is the antidote (laughs) to just lean into it. It takes a lot to get there, but if you have the chops, you can just go, wow, I thought that would be funny. And then here we are. And then John Mulaney came out. (laughs) I remember that show very, you know, who was at that show? David Nickturn. He gave us the ride home. Remember he yeah. came up earlier, and here he is again. There's your butterfly. There's my butterfly for the episode. Here's your butterfly. Well, Laura, this was so great. We have a million other stories, and we'll do it another time, but I'm so glad that I got to see you, even if it was digitally. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was yeah, so fun. Yeah, it's going to be fun when we get back out there and finish up the tour. It is. I, I I'm really wait. happy for you. I'm happy for your mom. And I didn't know that she was okay. That's wonderful. And I'm happy that you found this wonderful pilot. Thank That's you. Great. That's great. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, would please. you say keep it crispy? It's how we end. Ladies and gentlemen, keep it crispy. You keep it crispy. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. You Laura bites. Ooh, big part of our relationship. Laura, not Laura. Laura. Yeah. Get it right. And not just ladies and gentlemen, people who don't identify as ladies or gentlemen. Also, keep there you go. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you, Laura. Bye bye. Bye.